We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact-seeker and a truth-teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. So, and then, uh, of, of course, if you've been waiting this whole time to get Corbin Burnson and Mr. T in a room together, wait no more. Because this is when the two of them are going to meet. And Mr. T is pissed that he hasn't used the tape of the guy accusing the ONE of being evil as evidence in the trial. Yeah, that. don't take legal advice from Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> Full movie. 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 Welcome back to the Gamcast, where each week we sample another selection from Christian cinema because we've all done more fucked up stuff for money at some point. I'm your host, No Illusions, and sitting to my immediate left is my good friend, Heath Enright. Heath, welcome back. Thank you, Noah. Y- you know who's a bad... <laughs> Actor, <laughs> Mr. T. Yes, yes. <laughs> In just epic, epic ways. Oh. And sitting 81 miles to my right is my bad friend, Eli Bosnick. Eli, how are you this fine afternoon, sir? I'm good, Noah. Ready to do a movie <laughs> review. Do it hard. Do it good. Hep done get a fatted boo. I'd say that was your one, but it's pretty much hopeless. And sitting 231 miles to my south is our guest masochist today, Andrew Torres. Andrew is a Harvard-educated lawyer, the co-host of the Opening Arguments podcast, and a notorious armature debater. Andrew, welcome to God Awful Movies, sir. Thanks for having me, Noah. And we're <laughs> we're really excited because we, we're watching a courtroom drama this week, and we wanted a legal expert to help us like rip into the really lawyerly parts. Which, as it turns out, is kind of like inviting an astrophysicist on the show to determine the scientific accuracy of the cow jumping over the moon. So, so what do you think? Are, are you up to the challenge? Yeah, well, I have a a, a large glass of scotch and an even larger <laughs> bottle next to it, so uh, I'm ready to go. <laughs> And as we learn in this movie, that is a big part of being a lawyer, is just having scotch at the ready. See? Yeah, that's that's 100% accurate. But Very realistic going. movie. <laughs> so tell us, Heath, what courtroom drama will we be breaking down today? All right. We watched Apocalypse 4, Judgment. And uh, nothing I might say here is better than the actual tagline. So oh, please, please. Here it is. It's the Supreme Court. Versus the supreme <laughs> being. Oh. The trial begin. Ooh. And uh, unlike The Firm and Miracle on 34th Street, this one is very accurate when it comes to legal <laughs> courtroom stuff. It's a uh, laudable movie. Very good. Andrew can back me up on that. There you go. And Eli... How bad was this movie? Well, if you love legal dramas, but you hate that they don't feel like you just took three tabs of acid, you will love this movie. It's the firm for the mentally infirm. 
All right, I should mention to the to the audience that over on Opening Arguments every month for their Patreons, uh, uh, Thomas and Andrew do a segment called Law and Awful Movies where they break down a legal movie and all the stuff that they got wrong on it. So Andrew, in addition to being an expert on the law, is also a, a kind of an expert on terrible legal movies. So where does this one slot in for you, Andrew? This is perhaps the greatest movie I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. I I I learned so much about uh courtroom uh, procedure, about how to structure your open the whole use of props. I mean it's just it's it's brilliant. See? It's it's so I don't want to spoil anything. I'll I'll stop. <laughs> Opens up all new worlds of lawyering, doesn't it? Now, okay, so I, I feel like the entire point of doing this four-part series was finally getting to the one with Mr. T in it. <laughs> so, and, and, and now, there, there wasn't a whole lot of Mr. T. He was kind of like the Darth Maul of this movie. You know, he just showed up here and there. The movie really focused on other things. So what do you think? Was it everything that you hoped it would be? Was it enough Mr. T? Was it too much Mr. T? Uh, well, there's no such thing as too much Mr. T, is what we learned from this movie. <laughs> All of my notes about Mr. T's performance in this movie are just the phonetic sounding out of what I think Mr. <laughs> T is saying in this movie. What we need to understand is that this is a movie that is a courtroom drama, and all that Mr. T will do throughout, and we're going to cover this, is want to be violent and other people will say no. That is the entire scope of Mr. T's character. Oh, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to kill that guy. No, Mr. T, you can't. I mean, J.T. You can't do that. Oh, okay. I still want to, though. All right. The vote again is one to six. Well, see, that's the thing is I felt like he was like Beetlejuice. You had you didn't need a lot of Mr. T to go a really long way. And I felt like the director used him perfectly in this film. Mm. Well, kind of a disagree here. Uh, This is a new sentence for me, but uh, (laughs) I miss Gary Busey (laughs) very much. Well, if we could have got the two of them on camera together, that would have been like I would have just Yeah, climaxed and shot myself in the head right then and there, I think. And again, we can afford these actors, people. Look, (laughs) you just take a little of your Christmas money. We can make this movie by April. What's Mr. T doing right now? He's probably bouncing at a bar like he did when they first found him. (laughs) Y'all see Rocky Three? I was in that one. Huh? All right, so now, Andrew, I have to ask you this one because you and I more or less share an age. So we were actually like coming of age when the A-team was really huge and everything. And I've been sort of, you know, through the process of doing god-awful movies, I've been sort of inoculated against seeing all the TV stars that I loved as a child raped and pillaged for these films. So, like, but I I feel like this may be a a first for you. How was that experience for you? Is it nostalgic? What what would you say? Well, as somebody who owns 12 issues of Mr. T and the T-Force comic from the 1990s, uh, I I, I was not too disappointed. I thought this was right on point. Here's my question. How many of the words in Mr. T and the T-Force comic are spelled correctly? Just ballpark percentage. It's less than half. It's got to be less than half. Just T. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they they get they I I think they repeat every every issue. They do the, you know, first name Mr, middle name that period, last name T. <laughs> and they spell that correctly. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Did you eat the cereal back in the day? 
Oh yeah, sadly, just like Are you uh, fucking kidding uh, me? Uh, it was exactly like Donkey Kong, which was exactly like uh, Captain Crunch. <laughs> Captain Crunch, yeah, it was exactly. This cereal? Oh, Mr. You don't remember Mr. T cereal? Wow. Have you never seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure? What the fuck is wrong with you, man? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit! I, I, you know, Andrew, I'm so happy to have you here. When, when, when the when the waterbed jokes and shit oh. come up, I can say he was born a year before me, y'all. Yeah, we old. we have a critical mass for '80s joke on the show. On the yeah. show now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now is there anything you guys want to nominate this one for being the best at being the worst at? Oh uh, yeah, I'm gonna say best worst understanding of grenades and flare guns <laughs> and what those things do. Those are the same thing, correct? Approximately in this movie. We'll get there. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with best worst, see me in my chambers. Now, I'm no lawyer, but we have one present. Andrew, about how many times per trial do you get called into the judge's chambers? Is it 84? <laughs> it, it's usually on the order of zero, um, but uh, it could it could be one. All right. So I'm going to go. And this is a huge statement, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'm nominating this one for the best worst 80s TV actor. Move over, Cliff Clavin. Fuck off, Harry Anderson. Kevin Sorbo. Wrong decade, bitch. All hail, Mr. T. I don't think there will ever be a better performance in any movie we ever watch. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I loved this so much. Every line was like a pearl issuing from the vagina of an aged virgin. It was amazing. <laughs> I relished every moment he was on screen. All right. I have I, I have a lot to say about that. So uh, as much as I pity the fool who watches this movie on purpose, I also am that fool. So we're going to need to take a quick self-pity break. And when we come back, we'll dig into all the random argumentation that is Apocalypse 4 Judgment. Hey, Andrew, thanks so much for coming in. I cannot wait to have you on the episode. Yeah, this this should be fun. Yeah, been looking forward to it for a long time. I don't know where Eli and Heath are, though. They they said they were... Uh... Mr. Torres. Or is it Torrey? Uh, it, it's Torres. You know this. Guys, guys, what are you doing? Lawyer stuff, Noah. You wouldn't understand. Sue Stained. Oh, God. Your Honor... Not, not not a judge. It has come to our attention that your company won opening arguments, a show which neither I nor my associate have ever heard. Uh, you and Heath are both Hall of Fame-level patrons for the show. Has infringed upon our copyright with your so-called Lord Awful Movies. How do you plead? Mm, guilty. I, wait, wait, I, I'm supposed to say that, and I don't, I don't say that. You you can't copyright an idea for a title. Now, as you may be aware, we have what might be called a conflict of interest in this matter, as our legal counselor is Bibliothecum Ubi Est. Mm. Your, your legal counsel is, where is the library? Overruled. Abstain. I'll allow it. So, as a solution, we propose to clone you and let you and yourself decide this matter at Beritium, if you will. At, at, at Beritium? I, I wear a hat? Congrulatization. That, that's not a word. And go back. You want to clone? Yes, Mr. Torre. If you want to catch a cat, you need to be... A cat. That's not mm -hmm. a phrase. I, just out of curiosity, how do you gentlemen think cloning works? Um, 
Eli stole one of your hairs and jerked off onto it. Oh, for fuck's sake. Andrew, if you, if you don't sue, uh, you can say Lot Awful Movies as often as you want forever. Good deal. Oh, man. Heath, congratulations. I, I, I ran out of legal words. I well, was... then come to rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back for the breakdown, and we're going to start off with the main character, uh, Helen Hanna, who died in the last one, sitting in a prison cell uh, with some worms to eat, apparently. Uh, yeah, worms in her food, but also very clearly Pepperidge Farm cinnamon swirl bread <laughs> in the bowl. I thought that was a weird choice. But with worms. But yeah. with worms. <laughs> Wormy Pepperidge Farm bread. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and, and speaking of that, I mean, they show... Uh, Helen in a regular jail cell here as they're panning away during the credits you will never see another regular cell in this movie ever and and that's nope. a major plot point too right so this is just the credits jail yeah, yeah. right well exactly exactly and, and they will keep uh, increasingly wacky enclosures for her from here on all right so then we cut to uh to the to the Tron room uh, where we're going to meet Macaluso, uh, but first we hear the news talking about all the various hater attacks. Yeah, and we hear about this as we're in this, like, uh, I guess it's supposed to be, like, the the office of the Antichrist, and the architecture choice here I thought was really brave. Uh, <laughs> giant blue light tubes? Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Andrew, yeah. you want to hit us with some of those solid architecture jokes here? <laughs> gotta... <laughs> so, Macaluso's desk here, I, I paused, has two empty brandy snifters on it. Huh? It has a metronome. <laughs> it has a little tiny version of the, you know, the crystals from the Fortress of Solitude from Super uh, and then he picks up a rotary phone and, and this what? movie was shot in the year 2001 yeah <laughs> the antichrist is the original hipster <laughs> so that's all crazy but especially the metronome what is why he? would satan have a metronome on it does he teach drum lessons on the side like he's a guy in whiplash that's oh really weird man thing. whiplash but with the antichrist instead would that not of, be a lot of fun yeah oh, i thought yeah. we could make that work and, and also by the way we have to point out because this will be something of a theme for franco macaluso when we meet him he's doing the chair spinny thing oh it's <laughs> it's beautiful and yeah he this happens several more yeah. times <laughs> I just, I really want someone to be facing backwards in their own chair and then like do it back to him. Just like roll in backwards with a chair they brought. <laughs> like, oh, hello. Oh, Satan. Damn. Wait, no, you go. Damn it. I went no, too early. I didn't go yet. I didn't go yet. I didn't, you went. <laughs> that doesn't count. I had an inspector gadget related note here, but I thought only Noah would get it. So. <laughs> I, I'll get you it. next time. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact, that was an original clone of Inspector Gadget that got burned terribly and went insane in a fire. Oh. <laughs> Interesting. They never really got into the darker aspects of it in the fucking cartoon. You gotta they watch all the shows. They he rapes that cat. True to the comic, apparently. Oh, <laughs> so what, what he calls this these ladies into his blue light tube room to explain that he's upset because people aren't turning in haters anymore. And he thinks the best way to get everyone nice and invigorated to hating Christians again is to set up a giant show trial because God knows legal precedent is really what sways the minds and hearts of people in this country. <laughs> yeah, the, the Antichrist knows that. Everybody knows that except Scalia. <laughs> And, and he explains that this is why he didn't 
actually guillotine Helen Hanna. So we see a flashback to him about to guillotine her. And then he like catches the blade yeah. just before it gets to her neck. And he's like, oh, you didn't think it would be that easy, did you? And uh, just one other thing here. We just saw Macaluso again. Can we talk about his physical appearance? It seems to his, <laughs> seems to be evolving throughout this series of movies. So you know how married couples start to look alike and uh-huh. how like uh, female roommates start cycling together in the same way. Christian lead actors all start looking like Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> <laughs> Macalu- he looks like Kevin Sorbo got run through a leather tannery in this one. And Kevin Sorbo kind of looks like that already. Yeah, that's probably Like a second time, I guess. <laughs> you yeah. can tell he sort of gave up on the transformational appearance thing because like, oh, look how different I looked in the last movie. In this movie, he was like, glasses. This movie, I wear glasses. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we move over to meet our sort of hero in this film. This is Corbin Bernstein, who is a lawyer, typecasting, I guess. Uh, and, and we meet him, like, there's this Irish chick, I think is what she was going for. Oh, it's brutal Irish accent. <laughs> and she wants his help because she doesn't have the mark and she can't get any food and she's heard he's the only lawyer that could help. Yeah, she, she went to see a lawyer for that? Like, Satan's gonna have a sovereign citizen loophole that beats him <laughs> set up? Should you trick him? I, my favorite part about how we meet his client is uh, Roger Dorn here is <laughs> pouring himself and only himself a tasty, tasty glass of scotch at two in the afternoon yeah, right. during an initial consultation with a prospective client. Like, I, it, it, trust me on this. That's not an awesome way to get new clients. Yeah, no, I'll help you out. Give me one second. Why do they make these glasses so small? Eh, you wouldn't get it. So are you Irish, Scottish, or retarded? (laughs) That's your one of the three. Very offended. Can you imagine some people are both? (laughs) How do they know? How do they know? All right. Well, quick, as that joke has already gone too far and it's too late to back away, um, we'll move on to the next portion of the scene, which is, all right, so he's having this consultation and then the evil Satan lawyer lady that we met in the last scene, she shows up. Right. And she basically challenges him to a lawyer fight. Now, Andrew, again, just clarify, how often do your colleagues like sling back, sit, how do I reach these kids on one of your chairs without permission and be like, you, me, Monday morning trial, unless you're not a real man (laughs) well surprisingly more often than you'd think but none of them ever look like uh vicky does in this in this movie unfortunately oh Oh, she's smoking yeah Mm. yeah i loved me some vicky thorn um and i also love too when they start having this conversation he's like to show you that he doesn't trust her he like reaches over and starts a tape recorder but it's like (laughs) he's like you know you mind if i pull start this reel to reel real quick i mean again this was made in 2000 yeah and that and that 1986 tape recorder plays no role in the movie no. whatsoever. It is nope. not Chekhov's tape recorder. Nope. What did he make the wrong button and Van Halen starts playing? And it's like, oh, jump, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Let, let the song finish though, because like I don't, I don't want to. <laughs> gonna be stuck in my head all day if we don't get to the uh, to the bridge at least. So, and of course, the key to this scene is that she wants him to defend Helen Hannah because he's defended Christians in court before, and that'll make it seem legitimate, even though it won't be. Yeah. Then we cut to him showing up late to the like pre-trial meeting at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> Ministry of Truth. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, and they and they have for him 
the script for the entire trial. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's enormous. Like, is it going to be a musical? I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to be so happy if this is a musical. Mr. T See, musical, guys. This is Day Man with Mr. T. I'm going to be pumped. See, I, I, I actually had the opposite reaction because when you get a transcript from a deposition, like an eight-hour deposition is typically about 400 pages, right? So when he says, oh, the verdict is on page 356, I'm like, okay, so one day trial, right? Like, <laughs> we're going to be in, we're going to be out. I, lawyers talk a lot, is I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> My question is, how are they going to get Helen Hannah to say her lines? Like, I really wanted this to cut to a rehearsal montage with directors and lights and sound. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. One, two, three. Also, in this scene, and it's just an incredible moment, he goes, well, look, here and hands him all of Earth's books of statutes. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this is my favorite part of this scene, right? It is. This is one. The book itself is smaller than the 356 page script for the trial, mm-hmm. right? It's like it's like 300 pages long, and it reads One Nation Earth Book of Statutes. And I just want to point out, like the laws of the state of Maryland take up like 25 of those books. So yeah, right. <laughs> I guess ONE is like all small government libertarians. <laughs> And then, of course, news goes out of Helen's impending trial, and we learn this by watching all the underground Christians watch the news. This is when we learn that uh, Rosa made it back, and so did Christ Fu Panda. Mm-hmm. And she's now allowed Cosby Show clothes. <laughs> she's <laughs> catching up with reality slowly. Yeah. Certainly. She's almost dressed like a person from the present. It's exciting. I was assuming she'd be like a cyborg of Barack Obama, like in a space suit by now. <laughs> no. And, of course, this is also the scene... Where it finally pays off, and here comes Mr. Fucking T. Mr. T. Like a goddamn <sighs> personal trainer doing an improv skit. Like every line he delivers <laughs> is the last line in a like fire up the huddle defensive <laughs> exactly. lineman speech. There's uh, the, the every syllable is emphasized. And it should be pointed out, no one ever acknowledges the Mr. T-ness of Mr. T. <laughs> right. No one's ever like, dude, why do you shout all the time? Or like, we know how angry JT is because his, he got, went deaf in that explosion. Right. Cause literally his first day, they're all like talking. They're like, Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then Mr. T, as though this was just one of the lines in the scene goes, No, God help those who help themselves. <laughs> Like a guy snorting lines at a funeral. Because everybody else in the scene is playing it so like melodramatic. They're like, oh, poor Helen. I thought she was dead. Oh, I bet she wishes she was dead. And then he just pops in. No, we all got to do something. We're going to help something. Step into a Slim Jim. You know, like, fuck off, man. Also, I I watched this scene like six times because he goes... He's explaining that he wants revenge, right? This is, if you watch it the sixth time, you'll understand Mr. T wants, uh, revenge. And he says, quote, and I'm glad to see we all have this in our yes. notes. <laughs> black guy for black guy. <laughs> now he's saying black eye for black eye, but there was is he? no, well, right, but, I he? mean, that's the line that was written down, I would imagine, <laughs> but there is no way not to hear black guy for black guy. And I'm thinking, Mr. T doing some black on black gay porn. I'm in. Yeah. But, uh, they took Ronald. We gotta take one of them black guys. <laughs> I just want to hear Mr. T come. Um, so, and, and then of course, it, it, the other haters are all skeptical of his, cause he's suggesting that they like, like break Helen out of prison. 
that's his plan. And the other right. haters are all very skeptical of this talk. And, and they miss a giant opportunity to use his tagline. They're all like, we feel so bad for Helen. And I was like, say it, Mr. T. You pity the fool. Say it. <laughs> Never said it. Oh, my God. Mr. T. And like I said, we don't need much of him. This was enough. I actually had to take a break. When he first showed up and threw out that first line like a wrestler challenging another wrestler, I had to stop the fucking movie, step outside, get some air, talk to the wife for a minute. I was just overjoyed. (laughs) I should point out, right before this, I watched this fucking movie... My car broke down and will never run again. Like, that happened right before this. And after I watched Mr. T, I'm like, I don't give a shit about yeah, this. You get a new car. <laughs> I have the memory of Mr. T saying, broken tooth for broken tooth forever. <laughs> Can't take that away from me. <laughs> Fuck you, oil pump. I've got my own joy. So, so then we cut to Helen, who is now being held a la Tweety Bird. Oh, it's, oh. <laughs> I said, I said like Hannibal Lecter, like the middle yeah. of the room. I just wanted to see her on a hand truck with a Jason mask. <laughs> they never did it. That, see, to me, I, that that is clearly the same cage from the Scorpions Rocky Licker Hurricane video. <laughs> the what? I, I do. I do at least know. Which I appreciate. Oh my god! If she had started dancing, there's some fireworks behind her. <laughs> Oh, God, we need crazy billion. Maine, crazy thousand air money for this. Yeah, we could get Scorpion, too, I think, right along with Mr. T and Gary Busey. <laughs> yeah, they all hang out at the same diner. They're getting refills on coffee because it's free. They're all in the WWE Hall of Fame, aren't they? <laughs> Two out of three. So, uh, and, and, and of course, this is the scene where, like, Corbin Burnson shows up to consult with his client. This is the first meeting. And this is, this is one of these things. It's not a Christian movie trope as much as it's just a movie trope. But in virtually every courtroom drama I have ever seen, when you get the initial consultation between the lawyer and the client, the client is pissy and mean and won't say anything. Is that real? Why do they do that in fucking movies? Yeah, most of my clients are pissy and mean, so I don't, that seems totally well, wrong to me. <laughs> I said no, only nice things about you so far, Andrew. So uh, <laughs> I said most. <laughs> yeah, Eli's a nice guy. Um, yeah. so, so, and of course, his recommendation is that she takes the six 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 mark, and therefore it doesn't get her head chopped off. But she's Christian, so she does not want to uh, take that advice. Right, and literally, she goes like, "Oh." Never. And he goes like, you have no idea what he's capable of. Okay, good meeting. Um, wonderful. Well, you have my cell phone. You're going to be locked in this weird birdcage thing, like a DAPL protester for the next little bit, right? So I'll just, uh, I'll catch up with you later. Yeah, that's the whole meeting, really. Yeah, literally. Like, it's just, you're going to take the mark? No. All right. Well, I'll see you, I'll see you in court. Yeah, by the way, there's a script, but, uh, uh, you know, don't worry about it. We'll, 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 we'll figure it out. So now we cut to the courtroom. Uh, and the first thing I've got written here is music note. All the alley cats are banding together to show that bully of a dog once and for all. <laughs> <laughs> I had a uh, next up in the archery contest guy who looks like Robin Hood dressed as a woman. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> okay. So can we talk about the courtroom itself here? Um, cause I, I, I feel like. I feel like other movies just rent courtrooms or set other rooms up to look like courtrooms when the need arises for a courtroom. They went another way. This seems pretty legit. 
right? Where you have, and Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, but there are 175 stadium style benches <laughs> and those people are all the jury. And then the courtroom itself is a giant circle, which the judge sits outside of at an odd angle. Yep. Yep. My, my, my note on this is just apparently they got the set from the running man at a discount. <laughs> Our older listeners are loving this episode. I got so. that one. Oh, awesome, awesome. Running <laughs> a Bachman book. So uh evil lady opens up with her like opening statement. And now her opening statement is, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we have no idea where you are. I think it's that giant audience. I want you to imagine we're all in a huge boat called Earth. <laughs> Andrew, again, just quick question. How often have you asked a jury to imagine they're on a huge boat called Earth? And during that, have you had a prop paddle? Because she then proceeds to pull out a full-sized oar to demonstrate how everyone is paddling in one direction and Helen Hannah is paddling in the other. So... Yeah, so uh, this might be a good time to like talk about what an opening argument actually is, right? <laughs> so what what you do when you're actually in court is you describe the crime, which here is hatred of the human race, and then you describe what the elements of that crime are, and then you describe the witnesses that you're going to call and how they're going to prove the elements of that crime, right? Like that's what a normal opening statement is. So the the first two sentences that sexy lawyer here uh decides to say we're indeed written by someone who's at least watched a couple of episodes of law and order right like she says <laughs> we're here you know helen hannah like blah blah blah. but then I, it, then it goes off into the boat and i just get the sense that the scriptwriter like wrote the first two sentences and then something like you know wing it after that and then <laughs> that that's what happens but i did love when she's like imagine you're all on a boat and i thought to myself heath is way ahead of you <laughs> My note was a, a trial like this should only take place suspended above a pit full of shark decons. These are some deep cuts here. These are some deep cuts. And then she finishes by going, and she's like, oh, yeah, Helen Hannah wants to push you out of the boat. She's super selfish. The sentence must be death. And look, <laughs> I will admit I have not read many transcripts from death penalty cases. But do you just scream the words, the sentence must be death? Is that the official? Yeah, no, no, that, that's feed her to the shark to <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> And I love, okay, so the, and then of course they've got to wrap up this scene or something because we can't have two opening arguments in a row. That'd be boring. Um, so Norm from Cheers runs up from behind her to stab her to death. For he yells, "You murdered my daughter!" or whatever. Tries to stab her, and then Corbin burns and saves her. And that means that we're allowed to stop watching this scene. I guess. Yeah, and that has no meaning. The only nope. meaning that yeah, well, the meaning it's supposed to have is she's like, "Oh, you stopped me from being stabbed." And so she's, oh, I'm starting to trust you, Corbin Benson. But what did she expect? Like, oh, man, you're one of the bad guys. So you would have just been like, oh, no, stop, like the Willy Wonka thing. <laughs> just like, no, stop, don't, stab, stab, stab. <laughs> well, right. The, the primary purpose that this guy's trying to stab her serves is it ends the fucking scene. That's that's literally it. You could see the writers just going, so you just want to end there or... Uh, oh, that'd be so amazing. If they tried to end all the scenes that way. <laughs> it's like, well, I think we're going to have a great picnic. <laughs> so, okay, so now we're heading back to the cell and she and he's very upset with her for her outburst. 
Uh, you know, he can't run a trial with her freaking out all the time about her innocence. And there's an incredible moment here where, like, l- the lawyer is trying to get Helen to, like, realize that she's it doesn't matter how Christian she is, they're gonna kill her and, like, compromise with reality. And there's a moment here where he goes, please don't lecture me about your suicide cult. And I wrote in my notes, the everyone who meets Eli Bosnick story. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, 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 I feel like storming out of two consultations in a row and yelling clever one-liners on the way out the door, it, that's a sign of a bad attorney-client relationship, in my opinion. He <laughs> yeah. might as well stick his hand back in the door and throw a microphone at her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing this wrong the whole time. <laughs> so now we're going to cut to, I guess, day two of the... Um, opening arguments uh where we get corbin bernson's opening argument which also includes the paddle see that's how good a lawyer he is he's like you want to use paddles i'll roll with that i feel like you're not allowed to use the other side's props if (laughs) props are allowed in court and god knows i hope they are i feel like she should have been like uh objection that's mine that's why i brought it from home that's mine i need it dibs would not be the silliest objection we get in this movie by the way (laughs) objection dibs dibs i had the i did the or thing first Uh, but basically he's like you know i agree with the prosecution helen hannah is a mindless slave but should we try the slave or the master? And I wrote as a joke, oh, he's going to put God on trial. Nope. That's actually <laughs> not where he's going. <laughs> that's not only where he's going, but that's where this movie is going. Now, keep in mind, once again, the original purpose was hatred of the human race. We have now completely shifted because he says, I want to put God on trial. And the audience is like, rabble, rabble, rabble. And the judge is like, well, fuck, now we got to do it. The audience wants to do it. Yeah, and, and I, I, okay, I know it's kind of ridiculous for me to try and figure out what, what's going on here, but <laughs> what, like, why would this be a defense, right? Like, Alan Hanna is charged with hatred of the human race, right? And so Roger Dorn says, uh, we're gonna put her master on trial. She was just a puppet. She was just following orders. But like, this is supposed to be a one world government. We've only ever had one world trial, right? That was the Nuremberg trials after World War II. And the, the thing everybody knows is that those trials established that just following orders isn't a defense to crimes against humanity. <laughs> exactly. So th- I'm sorry. This is what it's like watching a legal movie with me. <laughs> well, here, here then, here then becomes my question. Should they have put God on trial at the Nuremberg trials to get all those Nazis off? Like if Goring had just been like, he made me do it. And Jesus is sitting in the back and he's like, I kind of did. So if we get crazy time travel money. <laughs> I'm just excited for when we get sued by the Cristiano brothers and we get to use their props. Just like go over to their desk and start using their pens. Just like, mm, I'm going to gesture with this. Oh, you got a slideshow? My slideshow now. Upside down. Yeah, yeah you know those ADF lawyers are going to bring uh, props into the courtroom. Yeah. Speaking of that, Andrew, I, I have a couple of questions. Do lawyers normally like pace around like that and like fiddle with stuff on other tables? And specifically, this is the biggest one. Do they... Do you ever lean right into the other lawyer's face with your hands on their table or the witness? Is that effective? I I, I tend to do less of that than all the lawyers in this movie. <laughs> oh, I want that to be true so badly just so I can, like, crawl sexy cat style across the Cristiano Brothers table. 
Your Honor, I have a simple question because I'm a simple man. Uh, Andrew, your client's still in blackface. Yeah, I can't wash him. He's very hard to catch. <laughs> Objection. So, and I, I know I've introduced almost every scene in this movie by saying something similar to this, but now is the first of many times in this film that uh, uh, fucking Corbin Bernson's going to get in trouble and have to go to the judge's chambers. So oh. the, the judge freaks out, you know, when he suggests they put God on trial, he says, in my chambers. So they, they head in there, and wouldn't you know it, Franco Macrocosm is there in the chambers, sitting in the chair backwards again right. he does the chair spinny thing <laughs> twice so far in act one yeah we're 20 minutes in he's yeah. done it twice D like does he have an assistant carry around a spinny chair just in case <laughs> doesn't have one? i feel like he would have to also he has a painting of himself above himself <laughs> I wanted him, I wanted him to spin around and be holding an even smaller photograph of him turned around in the chair holding a smaller but just like infinite regress. You, you know that that's actually a slightly realistic aspect of this movie, right? Like if you go into a federal courthouse, there will be pictures of the president and the attorney general, mm -hmm. you know, sort of all over the place. Which oh my god, I just realized oh, in a couple wow. of weeks that's going to be Donald Trump and Jeff <laughs> oh, no. Sessions. So <sighs> la laugh it up now, guys. Yeah, oh, that's going to make our trial even. Even better because the judge calls me in and he's like, seriously, wipe it off. And I'm like, oh, look at this painting. And I mash my head through it. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? You can't convict the president. Uh, <laughs> I pardon all of them. So, yeah, but of course, the, the key on, in this one is that Franco McAdoodle loves this idea of putting God on trial. So they decide to throw away the script and go with Corbin Bernson's idea, apparently. Yeah. And, and he says... It's her God we need to destroy, not her. Talking about Helen. So, like, mm -hmm. does that mean that Macaluso wants Hannah to be found not guilty? I, I, I was <laughs> not clear. Yeah. In, in the construct that they've set up in this movie, had God been found guilty, wouldn't she have been found not guilty? Like, right. That's, at, yeah. That's Roger Dorn's whole defense. At the end of this, as we know, everyone just sort of puts their toys down and goes home because they <laughs> ran out of movie. But like <laughs> what what is being set up here makes absolutely no sense. Also, I wanted so badly for Corbin Burnson once Macaluso was like, yeah, let's put God on trial to be like, okay, cool. Um I'd like to introduce into evidence the time God killed everyone except like three people. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, are we done? Are we done? And then yeah, they, they, so he you know he says, Alert the media, drop the script, we're going with this guy's idea. And I guess now we have to head back to Hannah's cell to tell her about it. Yeah. And again, they are not going to talk about the trial. They are going to argue about whether or not being a Christian is the better way to look at the world. Yep. I, I infrequently have those conversations with my clients. I just want to point that out. <laughs> She's like, why do you hate Christians so much? Is it because we love our neighbors? And look, I grew up next to a Catholic church. I wasn't allowed near their parking lot just in case they tried to love their neighbor, if you know what I mean. All right, so <laughs> I'm not buying it, Helen. <laughs> Don't worry, you were Jewish. You were safe from yeah. priests. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, she gives him an email address where she he can get the proof that he's lucifer incarnate yeah and it, it took her about a tenth of a second to write down that email it was like yeah a at b.co there there <laughs> you go <laughs> right have an email uh meanwhile thorne the uh the, the the sexy lawyer chick that's prosecuting her is meeting with a 
bald assassin guy that will play almost no role in this film. Uh, that, that, that was Heath, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have him as Mexican Heath and Mr. Clean's daddy lover. <laughs> he looks like he got made up by Ryan Lochte during a lot. <laughs> looks like a Brazilian gunman. Right. And then we cut to the Christians where um, JT, again, is just arguing that he wants to fight people. That is, yeah. again, all he will do through this movie. But one of my favorite moments here is that he, they're like, no, JT, that's not what Christianity is about. And he goes, no, Christianity is about to sacrifice <laughs> not other people, Mr. T. And he's having so much trouble pronouncing. He can pronounce about half the letters <laughs> in, in the alphabet. Like, and one of the ones he can't pronounce is the letter S. So clearly, that's a tough one. Like, little Lang don't do plurals. <laughs> plural, plural. Yeah, he has, a, and th- that will not stop. It's fantastic. Yeah, and, and of course, the point of the of, of the scene is that we have to see them getting the email from Corbin Bernson because one guy says it's code to send Swag's tape, which is, I guess, the proof. Yeah, and basically, what it turns out is they've got like one of those nine eleven truth videos, but like apocalypsy. Mm-hmm. And I wrote in my notes <laughs> here. Hey, Andrew, you want to go debate that guy? <laughs> <laughs> you you just know right because you see the first thirty seconds of the swag video where he starts talking about that, and you just know that the part we we don't get to see is how he's talking about how the ONE flag has gold fringe on the end of it, so admiralty courts. <laughs> That's an admiralty flag, and yeah, <laughs> and but it's okay, okay, but here again, and this is obviously a let's just say millennial problem for the Christians, they completely misunderstand what the word evidence means, right? He says, I need evidence, and then they send him a video of a guy making a claim. Because it's just a guy saying, I used to work for ONE. They used this detonator to blow up the school bus. And I'm like, yeah, if only I could find somebody who used to work at Area 51 and would swear there's aliens there. Oh, see, now I feel really bad because I made a video of myself being like, Hello, my name is Lucinda, and Eli would never accuse the Cristiano brothers of anything. (laughs) (laughs) So now i got to delete that from my computer. (laughs) Well, and it's it's even worse than that because, and and this will be a plot point later, right? Like, somebody making a video instantly becomes hearsay right like you you have to put the person you would have to put swag himself on the stand in order for any of this to have any meaning even you know impeachable mean right like even in in terms of being able to evaluate it otherwise you're just like yeah well this is a video get get me the guy like this is why we have trials for the the detonator anything Well, yeah, or the detonator or something. But also in the video, he promises, he says, and I don't know if this ever comes back, he says, you know, and I have proof beyond the shadow of a doubt that the ONE is behind this, and I will prove it in 20 minutes. <laughs> and again, that the reason that that comes back is because if you YouTube 9-11 conspiracy, the morning star, XXXJWD backslash, you'll get the crazy videos that these motherfuckers who made this movie watch and make whenever, like, the demon voices tell them to, and they are always... You're probably wondering why I know Barack Obama is the Antichrist. In the next 20 minutes, I will... Because they, you know... Oh, gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, so over the next 20 minutes, he was going to prove it. We just didn't get to watch the whole tape. I gotcha. Yeah, if we saw the end, we'd see him asking us to like and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) I was was sure he was just going to, like, sit there for, like, 19 and a half minutes going, uh... 
You guys are going to love this proof. Hold on. Oh, wait and Drew, get it. on. Not time yet. <laughs> Not just yet. Yeah. So, and there's no way he gets an email with 20 minutes of video that fast on his Commodore 64s. <laughs> 2000 bullshit. Oh shit. So, okay, so now we're going to go back cuz we need more Mr. T, god damn it. Um so we cut to Mr. T. He has stormed off because he's pissed at the Christians for not wanting to uh, break Hannah out of jail. So he's stormed off and we see him getting his fake 666 tattoo. Yeah, from Bald von Kaiser. <laughs> this, <laughs> this was a fun Amazing. character. <laughs> He's getting his fake tattoo from the doctor who didn't like Tom Cruise in Minority Report. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but with a mustache. Right, and so he's giving him a fake tattoo that's got the mark of Satan on it, and he's registering him in the database. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I, that was my big question. I, I realize this isn't all that funny, but like from the Christian perspective, right? Like Mr. T goes in, he gets a tattoo on his hand, and he gets entered into a database. Like how is that not the mark of the beast? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't <really> know. <laughs> What's the difference? <laughs> Can you get like six, six, and then leave it like one decimal, tiny <laughs> bit short of an actual six? And the Christians will be like, all right, get up into heaven. Six six five point nine bar. <laughs> that equals six six six. Never mind. No, it does. <laughs> so, meanwhile, back with that Irish chick from before. She's hanging out. We 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 cut back to her. Didn't think she was going to be a character again, but she is. Um, and her and her buddy are hanging around a, a, a trash fire like homeless people do, joking about how awesome it is not having the mark. Talking yep. about the plot. Yep. Uh, And basically what we learn here is that there's there's black guy character who used to work for O.N.E., but he didn't get the mark. So he got fired and now he can't get any food. Uh, And then there's, uh, again, Scottish girl or Richard Dawkins on September 13th of last year. Uh, (laughs) uh, She's also trying to convince him and she didn't do it because she's a Christian. But it seems like he didn't get the mark because like. He just didn't feel like it. Like they were like, all right, everyone get your mark. And he was like, nah, man, I don't want to. Well, and that's what they, they give that to us for both of them. I think that they, they, they didn't get the mark because, you know, it would clash with their watch or something. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. Exactly. And that, but then of course, Mr. T shows up and they run off. Right. And so when Mr. T shows up, he does this really weird thing. He like, Gets down low and checks out their footprints like he's a wilderness <laughs> tracker. What is? They're on a roof. I, no idea what what's happening here. I wanted him to like lick his fingers and touch the ground and be like, "Hmm, a Scotsman and an African American." <laughs> Again, <laughs> like crazy thousand air money guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then we have to cut to what is simultaneously the most meaningless and most amazing scene in this movie. So we cut back to the penny farthing tattoo artist guy that looks like he should be doing a fucking bodybuilding skit in the 1920s so that the bad guys can come in and kill him. (laughs) The line he gives is horrible awesome. They walk in. He thinks Mr. T's walking back in. He's like, oh, did you change your mind about the pain? And he turns around and he says, killers. Get it? When he sees killers. Yeah. So bad. So they shoot him, right? They shoot that guy. He's like, oh, no, you guys don't have to bam. And they shoot him. And then the other guy turns to his, like, assistant dude and goes, cut off his hand and take it back to the lab. <laughs> what? <laughs> that seems. I felt like the guy was going to go, we're not even going to draw straws. God damn it. I knew I should have talked first. I should have told you to cut off his hand. <laughs> yeah. And take it cut to off his what? 
He interrupts him. Cut off his head and take him from the lab. Get, you do it. I finish first. <laughs> Jinx. Not they it. start putting their fingers on noses. Yeah, yeah not right. it. <laughs> Cut off his left foot and then take the rest of them back to the lab. Yeah, what? <laughs> if the rest of this movie was this, these three guys trying to figure out how to cut off this dead scientist's <laughs> hand, it would be my favorite movie of all time. Of just like, just try stomping on his wrist. Ew! We, I, we need. You gotta to- keep. You gotta slam the door harder. Oh, I'm getting. I don't even want to think about it. Just okay. Three, two, one. No, dude, that's his forearm. Oh, it's his forearm. It's his fucking forearm. (laughs) Sorry, I don't stomp with perfect accuracy, Dave. (laughs) So while we're sitting there wondering about the logistics of that instruction, we're gonna cut to Corbin Burnson wandering by this old boarded up church so he can have flashbacks to his daddy issues i guess mm. yes and he's basically we realize this is where we again we've already heard that like he defended his dad so we see in case we didn't like already just love watching him argue with helen hannah about christianity he also had these exact same arguments with his dad when his dad was on trial for being a hater and apparently they kept his dad in the same bizarre one-room Tweety Bird cell that they have Helen in. What are the odds? <laughs> and and unlocked. Don't forget yeah, unlocked. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Always unlocked. And then, okay, so keep in mind that as he's having this flashback, he's just standing on some old street looking at what apparently is like his dad's old church. And then Vicky Thorne, the evil, sexy lawyer lady, shows up just out of the blue. Hey, what are the odds that we would both be here at your dad's old church hanging out? And she gives him her business card. (laughs) (laughs) This is amazing. It it says 555 hate on it. Yes. That's, That's the haters, like. Hotline. Information hotline. Yeah, exactly. And I will point out, when I started my own firm, I really tried to get 555-HATE as my phone number. (laughs) Taken. Yeah. Taken. Yeah. The fencing store at 555-GATE hates this. They can't stand this. So many weird calls. No, we don't know where the Christians are. But, 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 maybe if you'd like to keep them out, we could... He hung up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right, so in case we were in danger of thinking these bad guys had a plan. So we just saw the cut off his hand and take it to the lab scene, and now we get this wacky shit. So Corbin Burnson walks away with her card going like, oh, what am I going to do? I'm starting to fall in love with Helen, but now they want me to turn in her friends or whatever. And the bald assassin guy from before shoots the boarded up church that he was looking at with a flare gun. That causes it to instantly burst into flame from all four corners. <laughs> well, he has a, yeah. he poured gas all over it. He's got a gas thing. And if you pour gas on a place, it instantly lights on he's fire got, whenever any he's fire got happens. A five gallon gas can. <laughs> right. He soaked the entire base of this house with. Or maybe there was like 35 and that was just, he was bringing the last one yeah. back. Well, it was one of those thermite napalm grenade flare Oh, guns, I do yeah. love the right. smell of flare guns in the morning. But yes. think of the, planning that had to go into this right because she then had to meet up with heath's latino brother 
right? Uh-huh. And be like, okay, so I'm going to go up to him because he always goes to his dad's old church and he's going to be like, oh, my dad. And I'm going to be like, and we're going to do our very specific sexual role play and then I'm going to leave and then I want you to be like, hey, what's going on? And then you shoot the flare into, you don't want to match? No, no, no. Don't do a match or anything. Do like a flare in the house so they're just like, whoa. And then he'll be like, all bummed. Well, right, because they let him see. That's important. They have to let him see. They have to wait until he walks away and then blow the house up with the flare so that he can really, like, I don't just internalize it. I don't. Fucked if I know. I anyway. want the cut footage of Mr. Clean, like, waiting for them to finish talking, just sitting in the car. <laughs> oh, man, I should have brought some people with me. Could have played board games. <laughs> I'm going on a picnic and I brought something. Nobody's here. Oh my god, I played this game before. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then of course we get this super clever dissolve because they they show Corbin Burnson looking at the church and we see the, the 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 cross at the top burning and then that dissolves to that barrel fire that the Irish chick and the black dude were hanging out with uh, around before and now Mr. T is with them. Oh God, I love Mr. T. Like again, <laughs> you just have to you have to imagine every line all the word well just think about mr t talking he talks like that the whole time <laughs> yes yeah. and here's what's amazing so i watch these movies first and i write little vocal cues which regular listeners will know so we know like what scene we're on my yeah. vocal cue for this scene was scoo to see you gas <laughs> <laughs> which is i believe it's good to see you guys but really honestly i'm guessing i don't speak egyptian reformed egyptian whatever it is <laughs> Yeah, now, but of course, the reason Mr. T is here is because he wants their help to rescue Helen Hannah. And, uh, and if they help, he'll give them food and a mark detector jammer. That's actually what he calls it. <laughs> and this scene's supposed to be kind of serious and like a little bit depressing, but Mr. T keeps smiling yes. during the scene. <laughs> and then he clearly gets scolded by someone off camera like several times and tries to stop smiling, but he can't. He keeps going back to smile. It's amazing. Oh, so good. So then we head back to uh, Corbin Burnson's office where he's, he's mixing a drink in the dark, or I guess we're in his apartment or, or whatever at this point. And this is where uh, President Macrame shows up in his apartment, just, you know, standing in a corner looking at the wall as he apparently spends about 75% of his life doing. Which, again, was only because Corbin Burnson didn't have a spinny chair. Like, you know the Antichrist got there an hour before he got home and sat there and was like, um, ugh, nope, this is, it's gonna make a, uh, no, that's making, that's gonna be dumb. That's gonna be dumb. You know what? I'll be, what if I'm lying on his desk, like super cash? I, you know, I'll be under the, no, a surprise. No, that's dumb. Stupid. Come on, macaroni. Come on. You can do this. And I love to, okay, so like, he like senses or whatever, there's somebody in the room, but before he acknowledges him, he pulls out the gun like you do in movies. And I'm like, yeah, lawyers always have little secret gun stashes all over their homes, right? Right? Andrew, how many secret gun stashes do you have? You don't have to tell us where they are. Yeah, just, just the one. And, and like Roger Dorn, I only keep one bullet in it because I only piss off one client at a time. And I guess, okay, so this is the part where, where Macaroni is going to give him the hard sell on how he should help him find all the, 
the haters. And the way he's going to do this is through threats. He's like, do your clients know that you're a mentally ill alcoholic and that really, with the exception of L.A. Law or whatever it was, you haven't done anything? And uh, <laughs> I, I, I took real umbrage at the alcoholic slight because we've seen Roger Dorn drink two glasses of Scott so- in a about a week, right? And I drank more than that just watching this movie. And, and I watched this movie at seven in the morning. Well, it's, but, but it's medicinal. And then he has this amazing moment. He's like, look, if they might know about certain secrets. And he looks at him and what he means upon watching this movie again is we're going to learn, spoiler alert, that Corbin Benson's mark is fake. Mm-hmm. But what he does is he holds up his fist in what I interpreted in my first viewing of this as a slow motion jerk off gesture. Yes. <laughs> right. Because he goes, you know, secrets. secrets. Yeah. Right? And if you picture just like a very exaggerated single pump jerk off gesture, <laughs> that is what he does. So I was like, oh, like a porn. Is that a <laughs> yeah. thing? But but. But Macaluso, again, spoiler, I mean, he looks surprised at the end of the movie when Roger Dorn peels off his fake mark. So I, I, I never figured out. I, I think that your interpretation makes more sense. Yeah, it was porn that he was referring. Well, but that everything about this room, this, this, this scene sets up with, you're going to have to suck my dick before I leave this room. And I was <laughs> ready clearly. for that. I think yes. it's fisting. You guys are talking about jerking <laughs> off and sucking his dick. I think it was clearly fisting. I think you're misinterpreting. Whatever. Oh, also at the end of this, like he's all sufficiently intimidated or whatever. At the end of this, he goes, and don't worry. You're going to do a great job. And I just wrote, weird pep talk, Antichrist. <laughs> weird pep talk. I know about that gun that has one bullet in it. I know that you jerk off to porn. I know that you want to die and that you're an alcoholic. Don't worry. You can do it. The power of you. Put it on your vision board. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the two key pieces of information he imparts here is that Helen Hanna cannot testify on God's behalf during the trial and that he has to call Franco Macaluso. Uh, at the end, he, he has to be like his last, the last guy he calls to the stand. Oh, and he has this fantastic moment where he goes, oh, and by the way, I always like to have the last word, which is how he's indicating that like he wants to speak at the trial. <laughs> but I thought it was like, so don't say anything. Like I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to have a line, but don't be like, all right, bye. Okay. So <laughs> see then you we'll later. just be here all night. What? Alligator. Okay, cool. See you. No, no, that's exactly what I didn't want you to do. I'm going <laughs> to. It's it's a thing for me. I, all right. Uh, so long, Mr. Benson. So long. No, not stop. Damn it. Just... <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, evil dictator law is not necessarily my field of expertise. But, like, one thing that I imagine evil dictators do not like to have happen is to be called as a witness under oath in a trial. So I, I couldn't figure that one out. <laughs> he has, seems to have some weird, random, and floating motivations through this movie. <laughs> So now Corbin goes back into Helen's cell, but this time he uses his um, magical camera disruption device that looks like the remote control for the tumbler that you get for nine ninety nine at Walmart. Yep. But apparently he has this little thing that he can flip a switch and it turns all the cameras nearby off. Right. Okay. And he, he just does this crazy monologue at his client. Like, that's that's essentially... 
what he's doing is he just gets in and he's like, look, I just want you to know I hate Christianity and you're a big piece of shit and you're brainwashed and fuck you. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. All right, you ready to go to trial? <laughs> so, but but he believes that she's innocent now. That's the key. Uh, still thinks she should take the mark and not get her head cut off, but she won't. Right. But cause... this was his way of trying to convince her not to lie to him, right? I... I don't know. Why, why do you? Why do you act like there's definitely like a purpose to things in I this feel like movie? We're overthinking this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, is this a thing you do? Do you like come in and yell at your clients? Like, how does this? I, you know, again, there's a little bit of accuracy here, right? In that, when I've just met a client and I'm concerned that they're lying to me, I will actually go into kind of a little routine about what lawyer client confidentiality means right and i tell this little story about how you can say you were the second shooter on the grassy knoll and if you tell me not to tell anyone like i can't even you know tell my closest family members without being disbarred so i i don't know it seemed kind of real to me (laughs) (laughs) they nailed it like i I was telling you eli they nailed all the legal shit in this movie we're not really gonna we're wasting andrew's time okay but do you do the dramatic dialogues when you meet the client (laughs) because like it's so dramatic it's like the truth you think you have all the answers, don't you? Do you that type of thing? Because, I mean, we did the, like, Tybalt and Mercutio thing together <laughs> on Skype for a time. Is that standard for everybody? That's just for you, Heath. Okay. Oh, well, that, that was fun when we do Shakespeare. And this is where he reveals, because she's like, with you, when you have that mark on your hand, there's no way you could understand. And he goes, oh, yeah? Meh. Pulls off his mark and shows her that his mark is a flesh sticker? Yeah, like, yeah, it's a yeah. scratch and sniff or something. Yeah, and this is this is now the second fake mark we've seen. So I don't know why Mr. T had to get the tattoo when Roger Dorn can just get the you know the sticker, scratch yeah. and sniff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, and then of course we have to cut to the the guards because the writers realize that hey, you know, when the TV goes out in the prison for like. 10, 12 minutes at a stretch. Somebody's going to do something about it. So we have to explain that away. And here's how we manage it. We go to the guards and he's like, Alan, fix the cable. And he's like, I always have to fix the cable. He's like, should we call in the fact that our equipment's not working and we're unable to do our job? And the other guy goes, oh, I don't want to do all that paperwork. I'm like, oh, okay, nailed it. Nailed yeah. it. That it, it makes perfect sense now. And, well and the done, line guys. he says is he goes, you think you could do a better job, Eric? And if the rest of this movie was about a snippy gay couple who both <laughs> happen to work at the security desk at ONE, I would love that movie. Just like, so I guess we're having lunch with your friends again. They're our friends. No, they're your <laughs> friends. Don't do this. Don't do this. <laughs> And of course, in the meantime, Helen and Corbin are arguing about whether or not he believes in God and whether or not God turned his back on the world and whether or not his ex-wife thinks he's weak. Like, that's the conversation they're having. Important shit at this moment, I guess. Uh, incredible moment uh, in this. She goes, he's like, my father's dead. I believe in me. And she goes, your father's here with us right now. And I wanted her to pull a sock puppet out from behind her back and be like, <laughs> me. I love you, son. <laughs> that wouldn't be the weirdest thing that happened in this movie. I think that would still be the cut his hand off and take it to the lab scene. <laughs> and of course, she's like, you know, why would you do this? And he's like, well, you know, my ex-wife is, um, you know, she wanted me to watch her dog. And uh, it just it just it just wound up here. It's just, you know, it's one of those things. I kind of want to fuck her again. I mean, you know, when you run into an ex and you're trying to be like friends again, and it's like, oh, my gosh, we should get coffee. And you're like, yeah, we totally should. And she's like, what are you doing now? And you're like, I, I, 
so now, I'm, now I'm defending you at a murder trial because I just don't. I don't want to be a guy who can't be friends with his exes. You know, like I don't want to. I don't want to be that kind of. But I'm not that guy, and I feel like I should just explain that to her. But then it's the breakup all over again, and you get it, right? You sleeping? You're asleep. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, and of course, now we go back to the courtroom where apparently Vicky Thorne is calling the head of the Peace Corps to the stand. Yeah. And of course, this is the first time we have see him have to swear somebody in, and they do it like on a weird scroll without mentioning God. Oh, was 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 that a scroll? It looked like nunchucks with demon horns <laughs> and like fluorescent light bulbs at the same it was really it might as well be carried out by bats it's like the evil thing it Whatever. definitely has horns i wrote mini torah <laughs> yeah no but that's but that's exactly what they're going for is the demon torah yeah exactly the other demon torah I, i'm sorry i know we have some nazis that listen i hear from them on on twitter an awful lot really... and if we're not nice to them they'll elect trump again so we're yeah, trying exactly, what we're saying is we're trying exactly. <laughs> and okay so and this, and, and again, I apologize because I keep saying this, but this will happen over and over again in the movie as well. They make a really solid case against Christianity within their movie, within their world, right? Because, like, she, she brings the head of the Peace Corps up and she's like, what was Earth like before all of this? And, like, everybody there wasn't there. But anyway, he's like, oh, there's a lot of ethnic cleansing and hatred and war. And, and, and she's like, and how about now? He's like, yeah, no, none of that. And I'm like, okay, well, fuck Helen Hannah then. This movie right, is but beating how itself many fake badly. bombings equal the Christian era? Like, I, I, I'm just saying, like, if we do the math here, I don't want to be the guys from the Ford Pinto or anything. I'm just saying, we do the math. <laughs> I'm, I keep getting cited over to the Antichrist again. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Satan's world is way better. I would totally take a fucking hand tat and a VR shakedown now and again if it meant there was no more fucking war or ethnic cleansing. And it's a credit card? Are you kidding me? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And like every the whole audience is going, yeah, yeah. I mean, this unrelated fact seems like it makes Helen Hannah guilty or whatever. But she turns to Corbin Burnson, right? And she's like, ask him what price we paid. And, he, and he's like, "What? That that's that doesn't make any stupid. sense." No. That's a dumb question. You want him to say our souls, but no one thinks that but you, Helen. That's a bad <laughs> argument. Also, Andrew, quick question: How often do you get hints from your clients? Because I'm willing to give feedback during our eventual slander trial. I just want to know how open you are to criticism, like me being like, "Andrew, smile more, Sm- smile more." <laughs> Big hands, big hands, holding up like a little phone camera. Shh, I'm, I'm videoing him. Oh, look at him go. Oh, I'm going to put this on Facebook. So, I, I get that all the time, but like, I mean, you actually uh, hit on, you know, sort of the actual lawyer part here, which is when you ask somebody a question in cross-examination, you have to know what their answer is going to be for right. that to be a sensible question. <laughs> So, right, when you say, you're exactly right, that, like, people always tend to think, like, well, now, if you ask him this, and he answers exactly this way, (laughs) but part of why you pay a lawyer is because people never answer the exact way that you want them to answer your your open-ended questions. Well, right, look, look, I do interviews with people who've written books that I've read. 
right? If ever there was a time where you could set up a question and think you know what the fuck somebody's going to say, it would be then, and you'd be amazed at how often people are just like, oh, you were this, that's what you were steering towards. Okay, I you're gotcha. Like, no, you're in check. You have to move the, <laughs> bishop, you have to block the king. No, no you're in check. This is can't. where you reference the book. You have to... Yeah. You wrote, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> now I take your king. That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> so then Vicky Thorne... Oh, I love Vicky Thorne. Anyway, so then Vicky Thorne calls Willie Spino to the stand. Willie Spino! I was so... I I didn't expect it, and I was so happy. Honestly, I like... My heart leapt into my (laughs) chest just at the sight of Willie. And he doubled down. Like, he is full Mario brother with, like, the open vest. He looks like he's going to give you a great deal on carpeting for your cab. (laughs) (laughs) I, I I have so many Willie Spino questions. Um, for, first, I I just want to point out, like I was listening to the last you know couple of episodes on this, and you guys called him like Discount Ron Jeremy, uh-huh. and I, you know I thought that was a typical like gam appearance joke bit, but no. he's totally Discount Ron Jeremy. Like he nails that. Also, I wanted him so badly just to be like, as my friend Chairman Mao used to say, "Time to open the Christmas peasants." <laughs> Sorry, I wrote that one two episodes ago and I didn't get it in and it's been stored up inside me like a fucking sneeze. Well, because you were waiting for Willie Spino to come back. See, I was this was ruined for me because when I was trying to figure out if that was the same Antichrist in 2 and 3, I was looking on the IMDB page or, or the uh, Wikipedia page for this and they have like all the actors who played everybody listed and I saw Willie Spino was coming back so I knew this was coming but still, oh. dude, I had no idea it was going to be like four fucking minutes of solid wall-to-wall wacky antics. <laughs> I mean, like, like, because she says, like, would you mind walking over there and coming back? And he's like, absolutely. Literally. Oh, he, does like, he does like a little like, oh, oh, where am I going? Where am I going? <laughs> no, I just turn back around. <laughs> and the crowd is a live studio audience for everything he says. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Ridiculous. Oh, yeah. He was going to start fucking a stool any second now. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, and she goes, hmm, that's a mighty impressive walking, but you used to be in a wheelchair, didn't you? And he's like, yep, I was. And the crowd goes, like, didn't they notice that there was no more handicapped parking? Also, he says, I couldn't have walked. I couldn't have even crawled. And like, maybe I don't can't. I feel like he could have (laughs) dragged himself. Like, I guess it depends on your definition of crawl. I'm not trying to be pedantic. I'm just saying like crawled. Like that military elbow crawl, clearly. Yeah, was, exactly. Yeah, no, that exactly. Heath that gets it. <laughs> also, this is the best moment. She goes, "Now, did any did Mac, Mr. Macaluso give you anything else?" And I was like, "Please pull out a giant Marky Mark dick. Please pull out a giant Marky Mark dick." <laughs> but no, it's actually better than that. He he has telekinesis, as we've learned from the past movies. You get the the world's third best magic trick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as as a result of selling your soul, and he chooses to demonstrate his telekinesis by making it look like Helen peed herself. Like you know, how you like throw water on your friend's pants on a double date. That's what he does. He's like, hey, there you go. Oh, looks like Helen had an accident. Zoom, Willie. Yeah. <laughs> you just got Willied. Wet Willie. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just bothered by this entire sequence because uh, the smoking hot lawyer lady keeps using leading questions on direct. But I, I <laughs> she doesn't just use leading questions; she practically like runs around behind the stand and answers them herself. Like she, 
it's one thing to be like, and isn't it true that? And it's another thing to be like, now you're going to say this. And he's like, that's exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> she might as well have her entire questioning be repeat after me. <laughs> but, but finally, cause again, Helen keeps fucking whispering, you know, uh, ask him what the cost was. Ask him what the cost was. So finally he does. And the, the cross examination was, do you love your sister? Okay. Right. That was such a good question that again, because this is a show trial, he's like, counsel in my chambers. You're supposed to lose, dude. You're supposed to lose. <laughs> and I wanted so badly for like a cross cut of everyone outside hearing them say that on the inside. Just be like, it's a fucking show trial, man. Okay. Okay. Get it together. And he goes, I'm sorry, with the prosecution, like, cue cards next time, is that like a lawyer insult? Like, cue cards are like the, they're like the N-word of lawyers? Yeah, I, I thought that was a pretty good burn, right? <laughs> <laughs> pretty solid. So, now we go back to Helen's unlikely prison cell where he uses the scrambler thing again. But this time it doesn't matter because the guards are watching some chick get strip searched. So, they weren't paying attention anyway. And this is... This is where they fill out all of your Christian movie bingo card, if you were hoping for it. Oh, God. <laughs> because we learned that evidence for God, well, don't you believe in joy and truth? And I wrote, <sighs> yeah, joy and truth are just like God. And then she asks, gravity exists, even though you can't see it. And I wrote in my notes, you sure, Helen? You sure you believe in gravity? How long have you believed in gravity, Helen? Huh? Well, okay, and so this is the, this is such such a common like you know let's use a slightly different form of the word we're talking about strategy that you get with Christians, right? Because I can see gravity, I can see joy, right? I can see data that proves those things exist. But but they're treating it like yeah, air is all about faith. If you yeah. stop believing, you suffer. <laughs> <laughs> The classic argument from Wiley Coyote walking well, off a cliff. Exactly. <laughs> That's how they seem to think it works. Yeah, exactly. And also, like Corbin Burnson at this point, like for, at least for a minute in this movie, seems so desperate to have a non-God conversation. She's, he's like, can we talk about the trial? And she's like, what about love? Do you believe it? Where's your proof for love? I'm like, he's like, God damn it. Could we just not? I do believe in enjoying spending time with you. <laughs> <laughs> this is fun I'm having a good time I like your cage And this is also, by the way, where he admits that he's been watching her pray in her cell I'm like, that's creepy as fuck I wanted so bad for her to go, my clit was itchy, itchy. It was really itchy that my, whole time My uniform was also, I didn't mean literally choke me I meant like, show is spiritual, <laughs> it's a prayer thing, Spanish <laughs> oh jesus christ oh and also like this is where we cut back to that scene with mr t where he's just like uh where selma's like well what if something goes wrong and he pulls out his gun yeah a machine <laughs> yeah. gun yeah he he brought one automatic weapon mm -hmm. in a dog carrier <laughs> in case something goes wrong in this whole plan i was really hoping this movie would end with mr t bursting into the courtroom and shooting everybody while calling them suckers but unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> they tease you with it like it's gonna happen yeah um so then we go back to corbin and he's in his at his wits end about how to defend her but and she wants him to let her testify but of course the antichrist told him that he's not allowed to do that but he'll think about it. And while he's thinking about it, a security guard comes to get her and, and, and let us out of that goddamn scene as well. 
Oh, and it's so close to a porno, too, because he goes, look, you need to give me something. And she goes, oh, I have something to give you. And the guard comes in, and I was like, oh, fuck you, guard dude. (laughs) Finally, I was going to get the Helen Hannah porn me and our listeners have been waiting for. (laughs) I feel like the guard could have been involved. Whatever. Right. Well, that didn't have to end there. It's time for your cavity search, Mrs. Hannah. Yeah. Oh, the cage could have been involved. (laughs) He's got that big string of keys. (laughs) That ring. So, and then we got, we go back to Mr. T, and, 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 and he finally uses a plural. Very impressed. He goes, this is the actual line that opens up this Mr. T scene. And again, I'm, you, I'm not going to do the voice. Eli, you, you'll do the voice. You're more racist than me. Um, if you don't mind, I got it written in my notes at the very top there. If those 666s six, six, six are intent on going to hell, I say, why can't we help send them there? That's <laughs> actual goddamn lies. And then he quotes the Bible. And I, I want to say, I could watch Mr. T read Bible verses forever. <laughs> Honestly, Mr. Thomas, T audio Bible. Thomas, great. reboot as Mr. T and yeah. just read the Bible again. Okay, <laughs> though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. <laughs> See, I, I was watching this and thinking this movie was filmed seven years after Pulp Fiction, so there's no way that Mr. T did not realize he was doing a bad Samuel, Samuel L. Jackson impression. <laughs> <laughs> but he was doing a better Bible quote. He's he's having a lot of. Tr- it sounds like he's squirreling peanuts the entire time he's trying to deliver lines. And there's this one where he clearly doesn't know where his accent goes. Like you said, he tries to normally accent every single word in yeah. syllable, uh-huh. but he fucks this one up. He's like, "This mark stands for nothing, not when it's on my hand, but it's supposed to be not when it's on my hand." Yeah, and right. It, but he he says it as, <laughs> as though they were going to put it on his dick or something. Not yeah. when it's on my hand. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Not <Also>, win. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So then, and then this is so clever. While they're standing around arguing about the plan, the trial comes back on TV, and they sit down to watch it, which is how we cleverly move back into the courtroom scene. But before we can follow, we're going to take a much needed break, and of course, before we do that, I'm going to give Act Three the hard sell. Will Helen Hannah be found guilty of Jesus not existing? Will Mr. T deliver a line like a human person? Why the fuck did they ever stop making these movies? Find out the answers to these questions and more when we return for the painfully telegraphed conclusion of Apocalypse 4, Judgment. Well, if it isn't Dr. So-and-so. Oh, no, you guys don't have to... uh, Cut his hand off and take it back to the lab. All right, wait, wait, what? Cut his hand off and take it back to the lab for analysis or something. What? Fuck you. How am I supposed to do that? Cut his hand off? I don't know. Look for a bone saw. A bone saw. Uh, I I don't think this guy just has like a bone saw sitting around. He's he's like a fake tattoo artist, not a civil war surgeon. What are you talking about? Okay, then like use your gun to shoot. (laughs) Use my gun? What, would I just shoot him in the wrist until his fucking hand comes off? I'm wearing a suit, Dave. You gonna pay for this dry cleaning? Oh yeah, sorry, my boss asked me to shoot a guy's hand off. How much is that gonna be? Fine, just, fine. Okay, just put him in the car and then we can cut his hand off at the lab. They'll do it at the lab. Yeah, great. Let, let's put the dead guy in my Ford Escort. Sounds fun. You want me to cut his head off with my car door or something before we get there? No. You, sh- you sure? Maybe 
Rip his legs off my windshield wipers. I could do that. Just forget it. Let's, let's go. Cut off his hand and take it to the lab. And bite off his dick and take it to the zoo. Great job. You're an awesome boss. <laughs> <laughs> Bring them before me. Hey. Hi, dude. Hello. Who is this new one? There were only two. Oh, yeah, this is our lawyer, Andrew Torres. Hi. Yeah, I figured it'd be a good thing to bring him. Yeah. Very well. Well, I come to you podcasters once more for assistance. This week, Helen Hannah goes on trial for being a hater. So we, uh, we're, we're, we're sticking with hater. Drop it. Fine. Fine. Whatever. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Mr. Uh, uh... Macaluso. <laughs> so. Sounds like a noodle. I'll use my antichrist powers it- to turn you into a noodle. I can. I. I just want to step back a sec. Can, can I ask why are you having this trial? I mean, you, aren't you the head of the world? I mean, couldn't you just call her guilty and execute her? And I. I mean, this just seems to be a a big show for uh, really no benefit. Oh well, no, because like when I win, everyone's going to be like, "Whoa, that shit's legal now," you know, like a lawyer I, said yes. No, I. I I, I don't really understand. Yeah, that's because it's stupid. You're stupid. How do you like that? Okay, what would you suggest then, Mr. Torre? It's it's Torres. Meta. <laughs> Honestly, just, just stick with the world peace thing, right? Like, a hundred years or so of world peace will be a much better plan than a show trial with a former newscaster. I mean, trust me on this. Very well. You gentlemen may go... Uh, Mr. Torres, one last question. Uh, I'm thinking... Loaded guns in the courtroom, like props and stuff. Yay or nay? Oh, definitely. Yeah, go for it, dude. Perfect. Uh, don't take legal advice from a podcaster. Except that. Yeah. <laughs> and that. <laughs> and that. <laughs> and we're back for more of this shit. When we last left our hero, she was settling in for another day in court. And now we finally get to the part of the movie where even I had to stand up and yell objection. And, of course, that would be the part where the prosecution calls Helen Hanna to the stand. Mm, I'm afraid uh, that defense counsel was not aware that the statute was revised during a recent legislative addendum. Okay. <laughs> First of all. So, no, wait, wait. I got to come in before my head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> that that said, so that's the object, right? So the the prosecution calls the defendant to the stand. Roger Dorn objects, and the the judge says, "Is counsel not aware that the statute was revised during a recent legislative addendum?" That's a thirteen <laughs> word sentence, and there are at least like I don't know five major errors in it. Right? So, so let's start at the beginning, right? Number one, in a trial. Even in a criminal trial, presumably for hatred of humanity, (laughs) the lawyers exchange witness lists, right? Like that's how you can prepare for, you know, who you're going to cross-examine next. Like even when the trial isn't scripted, and this trial is scripted, like we've been told that already. So there are no surprise witnesses, right? Number two, it's not really a statute that prevents... It's the Fifth Amendment! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and so I, like... I I kind of feel like 
maybe what they're saying is that ONE repealed the Fifth Amendment, but like, I mean, don't these conservative Christian types like hate the Fifth Amendment anyway? <laughs> so, I mean, wouldn't would that? I guess that'd be a good thing that the one. I, I don't know. I guess they abandoned <laughs> that because it'd be too confusing. Um, <laughs> you haven't gotten to my favorite mistake yet. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose it goes without saying that a legislature can't repeal the Fifth Amendment um, or, or that revising a statute doesn't imply that it's been overturned. Like, that's a weird no. word. And, 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 or that an addendum is a thing stuck on the end of something, right? It's not even a common legal term, right? Like, the common legal term would be appendix, right? But I, I – it was but very they, all I have to say is the aneurysm that was in my brain like reached down and throttled the rest of my nervous system <laughs> at this point. So I did the script writers a favor here and wrote them a better line, which is the judge saying, uh, counsel, the Fifth Amendment was abrogated by the ONE charter and every school child knows that. Well, yeah, right. If they wanted to go, because it's very easy to go with, no, 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 this is a completely different one world government. That would be really easy. But yeah, instead, they decide to act like an addendum is a place where people go or something. Yeah. And also, this lawyer hasn't heard about them repealing the Fifth Amendment. Yeah, I, I mean, my my practice now is basically vetting dick jokes for a living, and even I would know if they repealed the Fifth Amendment. So. Well, I should explain that that lawyer Corbin Benson, he's from that Lawyers on the Left Facebook group, so they didn't really facts aren't a huge important thing for them. Also, Andrew, deep, I just want to point cut. out if you gave the Fifth Amendment was abrogated by the one charter, every school child knows that. The scriptwriter of this movie would then call a school child to the stand. That is that is what the people who wrote this movie would take that sentence to me. So, okay, so here's how the questioning basically opens up. Uh the the prosecutor goes, "Helen, do you believe that we're all damned and macaroni is evil?" And she's like, "Yep." And I I wanted her so so bad to say, "Okay, no further questions." <laughs> that would have done it. No, no, but she has like 35 more leading questions that she needs well, to get. And, I, and I'm just like, see, people, this is why the prosecution wouldn't want to call the defendant to the stand. <laughs> like, like, you don't need to ask, you know, leading questions with zero foundation and, you know, interrupt the – like, you can do all that on cross, you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She also has this incredible moment where she goes, well, your god sounds pretty awesome. Tell me, have you ever talked to your god? And and that was weird because I'm watching that going, um, she's a Christian, so isn't her answer going to be yes, like I talk to him in prayer every night? But no. Yeah, yeah, right. She never asks, did God ever speak to you? Yeah, right, right, exactly. So, And also, by the end of it, she's not even asking questions anymore. She's just like going down a list of insults. She's like, she's misled, selfish, and prejudiced. That is what Miss Hannah is. Also, look at her goddamn eyebrows. They look like someone put stucco tape on an old dog. <laughs> I, it, I was I was a little bit turned on. Is that is that just me? Yeah, I, absolutely. I thought they were N Fleek or whatever. <laughs> so, He's hip. Yeah. So then Corbin Brinson decides that he is going to cross examine, and mm -hmm. his question for Hannah is. Why aren't you rowing the boat with everyone else? To which the prosecution's response is objection conjecture. <laughs> conjecture on what she thinks? Because that's what he just asked. He's, he's like, what is your opinion about X? And she's like, oh, objection. I'm like, she can't conjecture on her opinion? 
Yeah, objection conjecture is is not really a very common objection, and it seems to be the only thing these scriptwriters know. Um, it, it's really weird. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know how to explain what's going on here. But you can cross examine anyone on anything that was the subject of direct examination, and you can obviously ask a witness for her subjective opinion. So obviously, uh, that gets sustained by the judge. Yes. To, to be fair, I think conjecture is by far the realest objection we get <laughs> yes, in this scene. Yes. So. <laughs> well, and if you don't believe me, wait until two lines from now. Right. Where he says, so what's two plus two? Where again, the prosecution objects because she's not an expert on math. That is the actual line she yeah. uses. So and, if she said not an expert on Orwell, objection sustained there? I don't understand. <laughs> and and how does Vicky not win here? The prosecution, how does she not be like, okay, what's two plus pi? And Helen's like, five. Okay, prosecution rests. <laughs> You're an idiot. I win. Yeah, the, the objection, not an expert on math, that one gets overruled, even though any competent lawyer could have just objected uh, that the entire line of questioning is unrelated to the direct. <laughs> well, right. Right. <laughs> you only get to cross-examine a witness based on their testimony on direct, right? Like, you can't just start asking random stuff. Yeah, yeah. so what'd you do for <laughs> breakfast? Right. <laughs> How many fingers am I holding up, counselor? <laughs> <laughs> also, she she does the whole, like, you're not an expert on math thing, but then he says, so truth is absolute, and then we get another objection because in the <laughs> words of the prosecutor, she is also not an expert on truth. <laughs> so, again, if, if this was a world-renowned epistemologist, oh, yes. the objection gets overruled? <laughs> what, what's happening? Well, and that one's sustained. The math one, that's always, you don't have to be an expert in no two plus two. But yeah, you know, absolute truth. That That's going to take an expert. Oh, and, and I have to point out that Vicky is just smoldering here after her objection is sustained. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is amazing. I am so happy with this scene. I watched this scene four times for pleasure. Like, usually I'll rewatch a scene because I didn't get... But this year, just the thought of Andrew at his home going, I have to write notes on what is wrong and funny about this. Sustain and will sustain me in my darkest hours forever. <laughs> also, uh, also, I have to point this out. All right. So like like Eli mentioned, the first one of us to watch the movie goes through and writes like scene cues. Like what is the line uh, that starts the next scene so that we can all keep our notes on the same page? When I saw the upcoming note from Eli for the next scene, I assumed he was joking or that I would get what he meant when I got to it. But no, this is the actual line from Vicki Thorne after she's done questioning Helen Hannah. She says, and I quote, I call to the stand Jesus Christ. <laughs> and he doesn't show up, so I want it so bad for them to issue like a bench warrant or something. <laughs> yeah. This whole principle is uh, Homer Simpson doing, Lord, I offer you these cookies, say nothing and I will eat them. <laughs> right. <laughs> that will be done. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess the point that she's making with this is that Jesus can't come to the stand because he's not real. And it's so good. And look, Andrew, all I'm saying is when we are eventually sued, knowing that the people who sue us think that this is the law, can we just <laughs> let them go? Right? When they're like, I call not God to the stand. Can you not object just because I want to see <laughs> where the faces going. of the real legal people? 
when Cristiano <laughs> Brother Number One is like, "Isn't it true that you hate God?" <laughs> you know, I—I I mean, you're laughing, but like, I—I I, I can do that because what what this movie doesn't understand is that lawyers saying stuff is not evidence, right? <laughs> or you know, grandstanding or like witnesses not like none of that counts. So yeah, go nuts! I don't care. <laughs> Just Andrew playing a Game Boy. Yeah, no, that guy hasn't called a witness in like 26 minutes. <laughs> ah, got him. I also love uh, Vicky's like saying, like, show yourself, the, uh, son of God. Come defend yourself. Show us some of your miracles. I wanted so bad for a glass of water to fall over. <laughs> what? I've been working on it. Right. The other guy in the last movie wanted me to do that. But it was Spino. It, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right, and she goes, can't you just admit that Jesus can't be put on trial because he's impotent? And I wanted a flash cut to Jesus just desperately trying to get his dick hard. Just like, talk dirty. Do something. Just, uh, I just need some Gatorade. Can you dress like a horse? I like it when you dress like a horse. My so- resurrection is lasting more than four hours. So but apparently this whole grandstanding calling Jesus to the stand thing was really just a big intro for Franco McAdoodle Dandy, who actually can come to the stand because unlike some messiahs, he exists. Mm. Case closed. Well, I love it. She goes like her opening question is literally, now, Lucifer, do you exist? And I wanted so bad for him to go, objection, he is not an expert on existence. Because that's how it works here. And to be fair, he makes some pretty solid points. He's like, look, according to the fiction of this fucking movie, for 2,000 years, they asked God for help and he did nothing. I created world peace and you put on my goggles, I let you walk again. What do you think? Yeah, right. Again, this movie is whipping its own ass. (laughs) And we just have to point out that when he finishes, everyone goes nuts. Like, woo, go Lucifer, love you, free bird. I wanted panties (laughs) to hit him in the face and be like, hmm. Just picks up a hotel key. <laughs> the fat guy who tried to stab her earlier. I also, I also love uh, Eli's next uh, scene cue, which is just <laughs> indecipherable gibberish from the Scottish girl. <laughs> and for some reason, the black guy's accent failed him in this accent. So it was literally like, and I was just like, all right, someone else will take notes on what they're saying in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> or not, because all I have is apparently these two don't want to be part of the rescue anymore. That's that's all I about all I could manage. And Heath has zero notes. <laughs> right. This scene didn't well, happen. Yeah, I mean, Don just walks off the movie at this point, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Not I for... would too. So I, you know, <laughs> I can't. You mean you can't understand me? You know what? Fuck he and your. <laughs> she was Irish, by the way. But all right, so. Then we cut to later that night when he's like looking over her wanted posters. I guess he's just about to or just finished jacking off to her. Mm-hmm. And it could be both before and after jerking off again. Well, right. <laughs> right. And he's going to email. The, the, what we learn here is he's going to email the haters to tell him he needs their help. Mm-hmm. Right. So he sends them an email. And I had a nice moment of reflection here, again, for our older listeners. Y'all remember when email took longer to send than regular mail? Like, I saw the sending icon thing, and I was like, fuck, I remember when email used to be sending. Like, it just wasn't whoosh. It just wasn't instantly gone. And now we get a moment that that really makes that church burning seem well planned out. 
Oh, God, I love it so much. <laughs> Another moment where you just really have to sit back and wonder about the goddamn logistics. So he looks at his desk, and there's a wooden cigar box or whatever sitting there that's not supposed to be there. He opens it up. There's a tape recorder that says, play me. The entire message on the tape recorder is the Antichrist going, no surprises, counselor. No surprises. Right. And then, as though this isn't ridiculous enough, he goes to the window and the bald assassin guy, who was apparently just standing outside until he saw the box, is standing there and yells like, make sure you get enough sleep tonight, counselor, which is a really weird taunt, and then drives away. Yeah, what? Th- that's such an elaborate plan right? to deliver that message. First of all, it couldn't just be like an email or a call. Or, but it, like, they planned this ahead. Lucifer's talking to his henchmen. Like, I want you to deliver a message. Tell him no surprises. Yeah, okay. All okay, right, no problem. Got it. Uh, but don't just, like, tell him. Like, put it on a tape. <laughs> uh, why? You're, you're, I'm going there in person. I'm going to tell him about the healthy sleep amounts. So I'll just <laughs> tell him... I saw both things verbally. He's like, no, do the tape thing. Get a nice jewelry box for the tape layer. Sneak in and then sneak back out and then do the sleep amount thing. What? I just wrote in my notes here, hey, man, you get my recording thing? Cool. (laughs) That was me. I put that. I put that there. And my music note here, by the way, is I expect this song to end any second while the singer goes, no, wait, no, wait. It's not a G. Hold on. Yeah, my my music note was, what if Amy Grant joined 10,000 Maniacs? (laughs) (laughs) My music note here was, Joni Mitchell got raptured, so this is what we have. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, now we got to get, okay, so like we just had Corbin Burnson emailing the hater, so now he's going to go meet up with them, and apparently they live down in the subway tunnels or something. Right. And the the cutover to the subway tunnels is the spinny newspaper thing. And the headline <laughs> says, Macaluso delivers crushing testimony, which I would just love for the press to cover one of my trials that way. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew got a really good witness this time, y'all. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> so and then, uh, of, of course, if you've been waiting this whole time to get Corbin Burnson and Mr. T in a room together, wait no more. Because this is when the two of them are going to meet. And Mr. T is pissed that he hasn't used the tape of the guy accusing the O.N.E. of being evil as evidence in the trial. Yeah, Yeah. don't take legal advice from Mr. T. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wait, if given a choice between taking legal advice from a podcast or Mr. (laughs) T, which should you do? Make fun of Mr. T on a podcast. Does Mr. T have a podcast? (laughs) Talking T with Mr. T? It's great. (laughs) Oh, if he was just reading, like, romantic-era poetry? Oh, that'd be awesome. (laughs) Come, my love, and walk with me amongst the flowers. (laughs) (laughs) That's a Byron joke. That's a Byron nerd out there that loved that shit. Oh, man. This is one of my favorite Mr. T having trouble talking parts. He says, I don't trust you. He, Mr. T... Can't pronounce the letter T. I'm so happy about it. Oh, it's pretty great. He can pronounce them at the front of words, but not yeah, at right, the end. Right. It's, oh, it's asking an best. awful lot. They call me Mr. T because I only get one of the, I only get one of him. <laughs> Persimmons. I also love. Okay, so now, 
Selma in this scene is offering to testify, to take the stand on behalf of Helen, which in no way makes sense, like in internally or externally to this movie but it's going to be important so i have to mention it and i also have to mention this even though it's not important at one point uh corbin bernson says directly to mr t and miss uh, and, and selma i can't say i understand you people i wanted so bad for that you people to, oh that would have been so much fun oh, so good there's also an incredible moment where he's like he says well that's a stupid idea and mr t's like oh and i realized like you can't in this movie a subtle theme of this movie is don't say things are stupid loudly in front of mr t because he'll tear you in half with his viking strength yeah he's like a wookie he's the wookie of this film he sounds similar yeah he does yes he uh, the same clear enunciation and everything yeah so uh, uh, so christ foo panda is going to help him get all the evidence he needs he's like oh yeah evidence i got piles of evidence come back in an hour and we'll give it to you but as soon as he uh wanders off the bad guys come through and start shooting the place up right yep and uh they run out the back door and luckily their hq has a door that leads out into one of the levels in Goldeneye for N64, <laughs> and there's plenty of wood boxes full of, like, solid lead cubes to hide behind for the gunfight. I, we so said we were out. doing slaps only. No golden guns. No golden guns. <laughs> also, it ends with him throwing a grenade, and there is a magnificent <laughs> CGI explosion repeatable only by vultures of horror. It is truly fantastic. There are apps on my phone that create more realistic explosions at this point. <laughs> Looks like it's releasing a Pokemon and a Vulture of Horror yeah. at the same time. Yeah. It's a grenade. So, okay, so now we cut to the courthouse the next day, and Christ Fu Panda was supposed to show up with the evidence, but he hasn't shown up, so Helen is a little suspicious. And that's when he realized that Vicky, when they were talking outside the about-to-be-burned-down church before, put a tracking chip on him, which means he has not changed his clothes in three days. Yep. Yeah, that, that, there's there's nothing weird about that. Are we going to make fun <laughs> of people who don't? Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> it's legally the defensible. prosecution rests. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to call time to the stand. Yeah. <laughs> Would have made more sense than the next move, which is to call Selma to the stand because Christ Fu Panda didn't show up and he doesn't have the evidence. So now some random black woman will take the stand to defend Jesus. Yeah, no. And, and, and I mean, like I've talked about witness lists and everything already, but I, I want to point out that in this scene, Roger Dorn looks around the courtroom, right? Christ Fu Panda isn't there. And he just looks at the first person he sees walk into court and is like, her, I'll call her to the stand. Like, <laughs> that's not how we do this, people. Yeah, yeah it was a surprise witness, like, for him. For him. Right. <laughs> Which takes a real lawyer. <laughs> I guess we're just glad a pizza didn't get delivered at that time. Yeah. Like, yeah, that guy. Uh, get up here, Scooter. Does uh, anyone Coley. really like the black olives? Be honest. Be honest. No. <laughs> Anyway. Objection. The witness is not an expert on vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of objections, I love this one too. Right. So they get Selma there and he's like, he's like, Selma, you came at great personal risk to your life to be here today, didn't you? She's like, yeah, they're going to murder me after this is over. She goes, objection, conjecture. We might not. <laughs> We might kill her. You don't know. You don't, there could be. We could just, you know, guillotine her, but then hold it at the last second if we need her for the next movie. So, yeah, 
Exactly. Yeah. Selma, Selma is described throughout this movie as known terrorist and hater, right? Those yeah. are crimes. So, I mean, she should definitely be arrested in this oh, scene, you would right? think. Like, it's like if a member of ISIS busted into a national tribunal and they were like, oh, this guy, this guy, come here, Abdul. So, Abdul. <laughs> You're a character witness for my... Yeah, right. And that's the thing. Why would you bring a co-conspirator in as a character witness anyway, right? And he knows it's a bad idea. She's about to get on the stand. He's like, try not to act too... Uh... And she's like, Christian? Black? And he's like, oh. I was going to say crazy. I was going to say crazy, but yours is better. The first one. The first one. First, first yours is better. All right. But instead of focusing on anything relevant to anything... Where we end up going with this is an argument in court over whether Jesus was really resurrected. Uh, but not just that. We actually get a legal reference here for Andrew to break down. So she she goes through the usual, like, uh, Jesus is a historical fact because there were 500 people who saw him in the book yeah, we what? wrote that we are the ones who edit. And we, or the, right. So exactly. The, the, the Eli Bosnick story always has me maintaining an erection. It doesn't mean it's true. Um, <laughs> and then why would anyone be killed if it wasn't true? Blah, blah, blah. He doesn't ask her if it's physically impossible. Instead, and this was the first time I've heard this in one of our movies, she goes with Simon Greenleaf. Oh. Andrew, you want to walk uh, us through Simon Greenleaf? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, it, <laughs> no, you don't. First, I think it's, yeah, right. <laughs> first, I think it's important. Like, remember, Roger Dorn calls Selma to the stand as a witness for the defense, right? Mm -hmm. And then what he says is, oh, by the way, like, I'm going to take a seat and um, <laughs> I'll let my witness get stuff out answering cross-examination. By the way, we've done no prep going into this, no. so, you know, whatever. Just just uh, pontificate. It's uh, it's up to you. Okay, So that's the setup, right? And then this is definitely, oh God, this scene is definitely the like, uh, oh yeah, but what about John Lennox, yes. uh, you know, of this movie, right? Because the question to any lawyer, right? So I, I should say, Selma asks Vicky, do you know who Simon Greenleaf is? And what Vicky should say, well, what Vicky should say is, this is my cross-examination, so shut the fuck up because you're the witness, right? Um, but, but if you're a terrible lawyer, what you would say if the witness asks you, do you know who Simon Greenleaf is, is, yeah, he's like an 18th century apologist or something. Shut the fuck up. This is my cross-examination. Right. Yeah. So, um, so what is the Simon Greenleaf argument, right? Like, so... Uh, who is Simon Greenleaf, right? Like, he's a lawyer dude from the late 18th century. Uh, he's a real lawyer. He donated a lot of money to Harvard, so he's got, like, credentials behind his name and stuff. Um, and he wrote an apologetic that's unbelievably stupid, right? It, it, it yeah. basically, like, is about ancient documents, and it relies on the fact that non-lawyers don't know the difference between saying that a document is admissible and saying that a document is believable, yes. right? So, like, right, yeah, so when Eli is on trial, right, like, I, if I need to refresh his recollection, like, I could put, I could say, so Eli, like, what happened on, you know, January 3rd, uh, 2015, and Eli would, you know, get back, and I would say, how do you know that? And you'd say, oh, I keep a journal, and then I could put your journal into evidence, because you've authenticated it, right? But that doesn't mean that, like, we have to believe what your journal says is true. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and I would add, on top of all of this, like, 
there's a legal doctrine about double, right? Like we started to talk about hearsay. Hearsay is whenever you put something into evidence that hasn't been said by the person who's on the stand, right? And there's a doctrine of double hearsay that I'm not going to explain because no one gives a shit. Um, <laughs> but, but, but this is triple hearsay, right? Like <laughs> yeah, this is right. Selma telling us what Simon Greenleaf said about what the Bible says, <laughs> yes. right? Like, I, I, the judge's head would explode at this point. I wanted someone else to push her out of the way. Mr. T jumps in. Here's what Selma was going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and then someone knocks him out and says, no, Mr. T means. <laughs> well, and also... God, for fuck's sake, if you boil this whole thing down, if the, if you boil Simon Greenleaf's entire argument down, basically what he's saying is if you trust what the Bible says, it proves the Bible is true. Yeah. No, no. It's 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 equally an argument for the Quran. Uh, the Book of Mormon yeah. qualifies as an ancient document like uh, the anything. And the judge here has a moment where he's like, hey, man, you're supposed to be doing a worse job than you're doing. Just remember, this isn't a get out of it because he shows him the like hater card where he's supposed to be turning in the Christians. He goes, this isn't a j- get out of jail free card. And I can verify Andrew has said those aren't real. I wrote one for myself, <laughs> but you cannot go near a school zone if they tell you you can't go near a school zone. <laughs> So now we get this, like, you know, hey, guys, we're almost done with this movie montage where everyone's sitting around watching commentary on the trial as they prepare for the big escape. Like Mr. T and the uh, black guy uh, that didn't leave with the Irish chick are dressed as, like, O.N.E. officers. Yes, this is the part of the movie where we are supposed to believe that Mr. T is going to infiltrate O.N.E. Yes. Look. I've worked in very large companies with lots of people and not known everybody's name. But if someone who looked like Mr. T <laughs> walks into your workplace environment, you're like, fuck, I have not seen that guy before. That guy is Mr. T. <laughs> and you haven't pointed out the best part yet, which is Mr. T and his fellow conspirators are acting out this plan in a van. And oh, yes. it is totally that there's no question the dialogue was lifted word for word from an episode of the A-Team. They were like, come on, there's got to be a scene you didn't use. And he's like, let me check. I got my binder. This is something that someone signed for me. All the memories. So, and he could have a stroke and sound the same in this movie. It's so, and so, like new Patreon goal, enough money to hire Mr. T to remake My Fair Lady. Oh, hell Just yeah. Just the rain in Spain scene is all I want. Oh. I am upping my support for the show as we speak. <laughs> All right, so now Thorne, the Vicky Thorne, that sexy lawyer, goes to see the judge and tell him that Corbin was having secret conversations with Helen, and dun dun dun, he has a fake mark. And and this is where I realized Vicky's skirt gets shorter and shorter every scene of this movie. Right? It's not just yes. me. Like it starts out knee length, and at this point, she's about to do a lawyer porn. <laughs> We're getting awful close. Yeah. It seemed totally realistic to me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> How short I certainly a skirt wasn't do you wear when you're trying to get into a judge's good graces? Oh, so short. <laughs> There's a new Patreon goal for us. So now we cut to Corbin in his office, uh, and he's drinking, and he's got a gun, and he's listening to a tape of Helen cry praying. And the first thing I wrote in my notes is like, I feel like Eli's been here, but then I saw in Eli's notes, he's like, yep, been there. So I, I, I erased that. <laughs> it's true. I mean, look, who hasn't had a good old scotch gun listen to the woman you love cry pray? 
right? <laughs> At no illusions. <laughs> but he's doing that. So instead he goes over and I thought he was going to like fucking get in an argument with his fish because he like sort of drunkenly stuff. <laughs> Fuck you, fish. Fuck you. But instead he has a flashback about how much he's mad at his dad. Yeah, for being executed. That selfish bastard. But then we, we cut away from that to like back in normal time. The bald Spanish Heath guy, uh, attacks him. Right. And so then the ONE guys come in, like they're struggling. The ONE guys come in and shoot bald guy. And yeah. they're like, huh, good thing you gave us that license plate number. And then they look at his hand and they go, man, his mark, his fake mark looks really good. And. What the movie was trying to do here is like, oh, you see, Corbin Benson didn't give them the haters license plate number. He gave them this, this guy's number so that they would kill him in the nick of time. Well, right. So like, it, apparently whoever's license plate they, he'd given them, they were going to kill. That yeah. seems like more power than I'm willing to give Corbin Burns. Should have, should have <laughs> given him Macaluso's license plate number. Yeah, right? <laughs> it could have saved us so much trouble. But you know when this scene was done being written, someone was like, there, see? Tied up. Totally tied up. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where the agents give Corbin Burns an, another business card with the 555 hate. <laughs> like, yes. he might forget 555 hate. Yeah. yeah. We need to write a jingle for 555 hate. <laughs> Five 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 H A T hate. We really hate nobody. Yeah, no, and yeah, and you can get Gary Busey and a car. (laughs) (laughs) You watch that before you go to the movies in New York. (laughs) And then there's a then there's a woman who hasn't aged well trying to sell you three million dollar apartments. Just so you know, that's what that's what it's like to go to the movies in Manhattan. That's the New York experience. <laughs> so now the van pulls up, and they send the skinny black guy, the British, but trying to be American black guy in. They give him a chocolate bar because he likes chocolate. He acts like a toddler about chocolate bars throughout this movie. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> He's like, Wee! okay, I'll do the, the yeah, You want a Scooby thing. snack? Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. So, okay, so then he goes to the, to, to, to break into the ONE headquarters, and of course, he's got one of those pagers that you use to decode card readers, mm. like they have in the movies. <laughs> why don't, why don't bad guys just make security keypads without a data port that you could <laughs> stuff something extra into and break it? Well, apparently it doesn't matter because they get, they, you know, their, their security was up to snuff, because just as he's about to get in, a bunch of sirens come and the bad guys come up and then they, and they gun him down. And Christ Fu Panda wants to leave, but Mr. T won't let him. Otherwise, that boy would have died for nothing. No, I put him up for this. It's <laughs> yeah. the exact quote. And then Mr. T, like, goes over to blend in yes. with the agents. Okay. So good. Crazy billionaire money. We make a video game, a stealth video game starring Mr. T as a Christian <laughs> breaking into ONA. It's just like one of those old Splinter Cell games except Mr. T and no one ever notices him. So we get like matter, like, oh, hello there. I'm one of you. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> sneak, you sneak, sneak behind you. <laughs> this whole scene definitely has the like, no, no, press the circle button. Now, now up, now yeah, up. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So he goes, he goes over and he's wearing the ONE uniform, but he's Mr. T. Right. And the head agent guy is like, oh, you must be the new guy with the beard and the Mandinka mohawk that I don't remember. 
<laughs> Why don't you go inside the uh, Achilles heel computer room c- cage thing and uh, fix whatever something's wrong? And it's it's fine. And he gets inside. Also, it's so stupid. I just have to say this line because it's my favorite line of the entire <laughs> movie. Cholo Panda's like, no, no, don't go in. And he goes, he goes, I'll blend in. And uh, he goes, what if someone notices you? And he goes, help him, help him if it does. <laughs> hebum, hebum. Now, that I believe means on a 19th viewing, heaven help them. Oh, wow. No, it was hebum, hebum. I'm pretty sure you just fallen yeah. into baby speak at hebum, that point. Hebum, makes more sense. Mm. <laughs> so now we head back to the courtroom where, where Corbin is showing up late. You can always tell it's the last day of the courtroom drama when the, when the lawyer shows up late. Um, and he calls Franco Macrame to the stand. Right. Yeah. And you can't do that, right? Like, like you, <laughs> you had an opportunity to cross-examine Franco Macaluso when he was called by the prosecution. And, you know, you, you asked no questions. So too bad. You don't get to just keep calling a witness back to yeah. the stand over and <laughs> right, over again. Right. That this is the, the defense has surprised witnesses, each more surprising than the last. <laughs> even, even surprising to myself. Also, I want to point out, Helen gives him a dirty look here because he, like, she didn't want Macaluso on the stand. And I just wrote in my notes, Helen is looking at me the way Anna looks at me when I talk in front of humans. <laughs> <laughs> just that you're ruining this party. You're ruining it. <laughs> Well, and apparently she is, because eventually they have to, like, you know, she has an outburst and the guards, like, pull her out of the courtroom. So, and, and, and what's going on here, as we, as we quickly figure out, is that Corbin Mernson has to stall everyone in court while Mr. T breaks her out of prison. So he just goes off on a series of every courtroom movie cliche you can imagine and then pulls out a gun. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, I, so I want to point out, again, what this movie is <laughs> suggesting is that the evil ONE government has removed metal detectors from the courtrooms. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, are you guys the, like, NRA pro-Second Amendment people? Like, isn't this another good thing you want? I, I don't know. I was confused. <laughs> well, he's got a prop. Well, yeah, right. Wait, she had clearly she did props, so he gets to do props. So he pulls a revolver out of his briefcase and he says, don't worry, your honor, I'll take the bullets out of it. It's like you've just been carrying it around in your goddamn briefcase with bullets in it. Well, all right. Well, and if, if you're going to do an empty gun, why didn't you just have it empty already? If you're doing an empty gun prop, you would, this does not occur to them. Yeah, because it's a magic show. What we learn is it's a magic show, right? And he goes, oh, as you can see, an ordinary gun. And I just needed a girl in like a red sparkly dress to come out and be like, because then he gives the guy the bullets right like hands them to him he's there take those bullets and then he takes the gun and he points it at lucifer and he goes excuse me bailiff would you mind opening your hand how many bullets and he opens it up he's like oh my god only four bullets how'd you do that how'd you do that crazy So he goes around and he's like asking everybody in the audience, like, who's willing to step down here and take a bullet for Lucifer? So that's his defense at this point is like, um, I am going to shoot someone in this courtroom. Any volunteers? Yeah. And by the way, that's super weird because I would totally take a bullet for someone who created world peace. 
Yeah, right? right? If the people all got <laughs> marks and were in the virtual reality thing, why would we believe that no one in this courtroom would be willing to take a bullet for the man who regrew their arm and created world peace? Just like if there was just a normal dude, it wouldn't even need to be magical. If there was just like some great head of the UN and they were like, who wants to take a bullet for Super Merkel? I'd be like, yeah, sure, go for it. Yeah, I mean, this is basically Eli's all the Skittles posts that went viral, right? Well, right, like, right. I mean, this guy, you know, <laughs> saved the world. Like, people should be throwing themselves off the balcony to take that bullet. <laughs> right, right. But the point he's making, and this is terrifying, is that no one's willing to die for Satan, but all the Christians are willing to die for Jesus. That's the point. Like, that's the, hey, guys, you know what makes us so much better than them? We're willing to die for our dumb shit. And I, I wanted so badly for a Muslim guy to stand up in the audience and be like, oh, do I have a surprise for you, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a gamble that is not going to play out. <laughs> How are your teenagers doing? Also, through this whole thing, like as he's doing his whole gun thing, they also like they have they keep cutting back to Mr. T because he's like broke into the the cell where they're keeping Hannah and now Selma. And he's trying he's got this giant ring of janitor keys and he's trying each key, but it's not enough for him to push the key in and check to see if it turns the lock. He must then wrestle with the key and the lock and try to like defeat it with his great strength. I honestly expected him to cut through the bars with his mohawk. <laughs> <laughs> Just had him or something, yeah. And another guard comes in while he's fucking around. You know, he's like, hey, wait a minute. I don't remember a large bearded black man with a mohawk. Who the hell are you? And he's like, I'm in the department of fool sucker. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, so the reason we have to have this scene is because Mr. T wants to shoot this guy, but Selma has to talk him down and explain to him that that's not the Christian thing to do. And, and I'm convinced that wasn't part of the movie. Like, Mr. T just constantly <laughs> wanted to shoot extras because of his days in the A-team, and they were like, no, you know what? That's your whole character's journeys. He wants to shoot people, but he doesn't. Yeah, I want to shoot people. But no, but, but you don't. But you don't. That's what's so great about it. And then I shoot him? No, Mr. Mr. T, then you don't. What's your first name? I don't know. <laughs> Mr. Uh, and okay, so then we come back to the courtroom. Like now they're they're like everybody knows Corbin Birdson doesn't have a, a mark and they're all freaked out or whatever. So now Vicky comes up to him and she says, do you want to die for your God and shoots him? Now, at first, you might think that this is a bad thing for her to do. But if you think about it. He really set up the whole using the other guy's props thing when he grabbed her oar. Mm. I feel like this is turnabout. <laughs> That's true. Also, Fair. Andrew, is this going to be a future episode of OA where you talk about what happens when someone shoots you in court? <laughs> right. Listener question. Eli B. Yeah. asks, what happens when the other lawyer shoots you with your prop, but you stole their prop first, even <laughs> though you totally got away with your magic trick? <laughs> It's similar to stabbing the uh, corpse at a funeral, right? Le le legally speaking. <laughs> yeah, and and the net result of this is, and we see, you know, another newspaper headline uh, that you know mistrial declared in God trial, and like I, that's not what mistrial means, right? Like mistrial is not just like, ooh, right? There's a bad court thingy, so I guess we just call a whoopsie doodle. Like you know, a mistrial is like either. You have a deadlock jury, right? Or some other 
reason the jury can't come to a verdict. Or, and this is the most common, like you have a fundamental error that is so prejudicial to the defendant that it can't be cured by jury instructions, right? But like here, the trial was over, right? The the defense gave his incompetently stupid closing argument about Jesus or whatever. <laughs> like I I mean you could argue ineffective assistance of counsel, but like there's not a mistrial, right? Like all the evidence has come in. You just tell the jury, like, ignore the fact that the prosecutor shot your the, the defense lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Please I deliver those instructions. I want to know, how does a judge go explain to a jury to ignore that the prosecutor shot the defense? <laughs> also, like, I, I'm i just kind of – like, is this a happy ending? Is this a sad I ending? Like, I can't figure the movie out. Like, I, it, it, Macaluso says at the beginning of the movie, right, I want Hannah to remind the world of what it's like to follow God. Right. And that's what Roger Dorn does in his clothes. And then he gets shot. So, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, isn't that? Yeah. Shouldn't everybody be happy? Right. <laughs> One would certainly think so. OK, so now that God's been found not dead, but surely alive, I guess we can kind of wrap things up. I have to ask, Andrew, was this your worst courtroom experience, this film? I, gosh, it, it I, I mean, it. I could, I could sort of excuse everything by thinking like, well, maybe the ONE government just like, you know, repealed this basic aspect of trial procedure and there was a good reason for it. So I still think the firm is worse, right? Okay. <laughs> you sure Wilford Brimley didn't get murdered in this one? We know how much that tickles you pink. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. He gets beaten so brutally. <laughs> Just, it's just, it's just 65 seconds of like the Foley guy hitting a like bag full of meat with a baseball bat. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I guess to put a bow on this review, I'm simply going to ask you guys to finish the following sentence. Before I watch this movie again, I'd rather be convicted of blank. Uh, felony misanthropy, like Helen almost did. Thug life. Uh, what the Cristiano brothers did in 1989. Oh, Eli does not mean that. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Before I watch this movie again, I'd rather be convicted of um, that crime where you're sentenced to answer people's questions about the law twice per week. <laughs> You that would have been that would have made perfect sense at the end of this movie if they had found uh, Helen guilty of that or sentenced her to be a butler or something. Yeah. (laughs) All right. And Andrew, I've got to say thanks again so much for hanging out with us. I know it's a pretty ridiculous thing to try to use a Harvard law education to break down the legal aspects of this film. So I appreciate you indulging with us. Um, If our listeners want to hear a little more from you, where where can they find you? Uh, OpenArgs.com or Opening Arguments uh, on iTunes or wherever else you look for podcasts. Awesome. And I, I, I honestly, I say this truthfully, there is not another podcast that came out in 2016 that I would more highly recommend. If you're not listening to Opening Arguments, you really owe it to yourself. Of course, you'll find a link on the show notes for this episode. Andrew, thanks again. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, and thanks for your kind words. You bet. And while that does it for our review of Apocalypse 4, Judgment, that's not going to do it for the episode just yet, because we still need to tantalize you for next week. So, Eli, tell us, what's on deck? Christmas on Salvation Street. You get one more little blow to Christmas before it's all over. Exactly. It's about a white preacher and his daughter 
who is recently widowed, who moves to a black ghetto neighborhood to save all the black people. We, we didn't do this one last year during our Christmas extravaganza uh, because it was too similar to Brother White. Literally, that's why we couldn't do it. It was just okay, too I thought you were yeah. describing Brother yeah, White. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. Too similar to the other ones. But I've watched the preview and it looks pretty phenomenal. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, that was a late edition, so I haven't seen the preview yet. Very much looking forward to Brother White, but serious. Mm-hmm. I've been saying for years that the world needed that. So with that to look forward to, we're going to bring episode 71 to a merciful close. Once again, a huge thanks to Andrew Torres of the Opening Arguments podcast for hanging out with us tonight. And of course, an at least equally huge thanks to all the Patreon donors that help make the show go. If you'd like to count yourself among their ranks, you can make a per-episode donation at patreon.com slash godawful and thereby earn early access to an ad-free version of every episode. You can also help us a ton by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes and by sharing the show on all your various social media platforms. And if you enjoyed this show, be sure to check out our sibling shows, The Scathing Atheist and The Skeptocrat, available on iTunes, Stitchers, and wherever else podcasts live. If you have questions, comments, or cinematic suggestions, you can email godawfulmovies at gmail.com. The theme song for this episode was written and performed by Ryan Slotnick of Evil Giraffes on Mars, and all additional music was written and performed by Morgan Clark. If you like what you hear, hear more by following the links on the show notes for this episode. Thanks again for giving us a chunk of your life this week. For Heath Enright and Eli Bosnick, I'm No Illusions, promising to work hard to earn another chunk next week. Until then, we'll leave you with the Breakfast Club close. Selma went on to become an assassin made of liquid metal in Part 5. <laughs> Helen never got out of the cock duty car! Jesus couldn't handle life on the outside, carved his name into a ceiling beam, and hung himself. (laughs) The preceding podcast was a production of Puzzle in a Thunderstorm, LLC. Copyright 2016. All rights reserved.